On this episode, we discuss Amsterdam. It's an epic multiverse crossover, the movie that finally brings together Batman, Harley Quinn, Gamora, Ilyana Rasputin, General Zod, Black Klansman, Austin Powers, Marty the Zebra, Raylan Givens, Freddie Mercury, Dr. Victor Ehrlich, Travis Bickle, and Bomble Arena. Though none of them are playing those characters. Man, what a movie that would have been. Not this one. Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Oh boy, it's me, Stuart Wellington. <laughs> and I'm Elliot Kalen, and I have a little bit of a cold, so Stuart may need to take over the summary of the movie from me oh, cool. some way through. That's Elliot, because I was suspense? like, I was like, who's that sexy boy? Yeah, ooh, crackly. <laughs> yeah, when I have a cold, Rebelly. I do sound like a sexy boy. Uh-huh. <laughs> causes a lot of trouble. Uh-huh. <laughs> why why is why is the crackly voice sexy, Stuart? Uh, yeah, it's because it, it sounds like you're, you're not long for this world. Mm. So it's like <laughs> any, you know, the every, inheritance will come to you faster. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All, and all, all beauty comes from this fleeting impression on the mind in this, in this temporal space. Wait, uh, let me I find out. Cap- I'll, I'll text my friend Anna Nicole Smith real quick. <laughs> <That'd> be, <laughs> that It gives me more of a Kathleen Turner feel. I feel like. Yes. I cold, That's so, what yeah. I was thinking when you said that. I'm like. If I close my eyes, is he Jessica Rabbit? Yeah. It's like there's a yeah. crackling fire inside your mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Ow. Ooh, uh, just like in those, uh, was it, um, what gum commercial was it where they would say, the inside of your mouth is a blistering yeah. 98.6 degrees, <laughs> as if that was not the normal human exactly. temperature. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I like, uh, the, it's like footage of people like, like be- sweating their asses <laughs> off. It's like, get out of that dude's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Idiot! Like as if as if people are walking around going like ah 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 my own tongue ah it's suffering ah uh-huh, yeah. Well, as you've surely guessed by now, this is a podcast where we watch a movie that was a critical <laughs> or a commercial or both flop, mm-hmm. and then we talk about it. We discuss what we thought of it. Uh, usually making some jokes and japes along the way. <laughs> um, it's called the Flop House. It's been going on for. 15 years, put it in your ears. You're doing it right now. You're soaking in it, the flop house. <laughs> wow. Dan, it feels like first you're take stalling on that before. Shit. It feels like you're stalling until a sniper can take one of us out. Like, <laughs> Keep going. If you line up perfectly, the hitman will get that uh, that achievement or whatever the fuck. Uh, and this is our second uh, David O. Russell picture, although the first one he took his name off of, uh, mailed yes. slash accidental love. Mm, cool, 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 this cool. This time we uh, do not have the screenwriter with us because the screenwriter this time was David O. Russell. Uh-huh. Mm, interesting. Who, by all accounts, is a genuinely unpleasant person to be around. So he asked to be on the show and we said no thank you. <laughs> yes, I've only heard negative things except from a mutual friend of ours, Elliot, who, who's, who I will not name for their own safety, who was like, no, he's a nice guy. But uh, he seems unreliable. <laughs> I, mean, I've, I imagine he is one of those people who is – a nice guy to some people and a real nightmare yeah, to other people. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe he just people. doesn't I, handle stress well. You are bad. Yeah. I just know that anyone who shouts at Lily Tomlin is instantly on my shit list. No, that's There's true. no reason to do that ever. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Although that video, if you've ever seen it, there is the funny <laughs> moment where he leaves the room and then walks back in again. But yeah. It, <laughs> but anyway, he's. It is much like a scene from the film that he is directing, actually. It feels yes. like it. Yeah. 
he's uh, so this was David Russell's first film as a director since Joy, a movie that I genuinely did not understand the purpose of <laughs> and found baffling. That's an, uh, that's but, another David O. Russell movie. Spoiler alert: that I liked a little bit better than the 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 populace seemed to like. It that's is totally cool. I mean, absolutely a mess. And before but I kind that of was, was charmed by some of it. Was what did he do before that? American Hustle. I think oh, was before that. Oh, what a yeah. stinker! Which I also did I, not care for. That one I don't like. Yeah, it's a stinker. And, but before that was Silver Linings Playbook and The Fighter, both of which I really like. I think those are both really good movies. Yeah, I think The Fighter. It loses a lot of steam when he decides to shoot the climactic fight as if you are watching it on HBO, yeah. <laughs> which is an interesting creative choice to put you at. It's almost Brechtian, the distance that he is putting between yeah. you and the characters at that point. Um, but he's a hit and miss director, by which I mean I wouldn't be surprised if he hit a miss at some point. <laughs> yeah. He seems like a difficult man. No, he uh, so anyway. is definitely, from all reports, not a nice man who may have also done some weird stuff. We won't... Get into that. And he came, to blow, he came to blows with George Clooney yeah. on the set of Three Kings. On set of Three Kings. The Clooney. My, my favorite David O. Russell movie. Yeah, that's, hey, but. that's fine. That's a totally, that's a totally good choice right there. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, so we won't spend a lot of this episode on the merits or de or demerits of David O. Russell just because we're here just talking about the movie. And I think we're going to have an interesting debate and discussion about yeah. this film, possibly, because- uh, we'll see. This was a very divisive movie in the critical community. Uh, I know the New Yorker put it as one of its 10 best movies of the year. Hmm. And I what? would not do that. I mean, uh, let's, let's not, let's, ugh, let's spoiler alert. See nine movies? <laughs> I think it's going to be clear, uh, pretty early on that I will be the defender of the movie more than the others. Like I basically enjoyed it, even though I think that there's a lot in it that's a mess, but I would not have put it on a 10 best list for sure. It was I was amazed. I had to look up Richard Brody's review. And Richard Brody, much like the other New Yorker film uh, reviewer, Anthony Lane, is a very idiosyncratic individual. Yeah. Reading his review, everything in this movie that didn't work for me worked for him like gangbusters. Huh. He just could not get enough of it. So Interesting. let's talk about this movie, shall we? This kind of screwball, madcap, relatively jokeless, <laughs> relatively thrillless spy comedy thriller. <laughs> yeah. Uh, about American fascism. <laughs> about American fascism. And, and made that amazingly keeps hinting at the subject of race and then running away from it as quickly as possible. True, true. So let's, uh, <sighs> let's talk. It starts with a text on screen. It says a lot of this really happened. Which is, is such a that fucking is common <laughs> piece of shit thing to yeah, do. And it's like so not every true. fucking movie these days, these days, but it's such a yeah. fucking common uh, thing trend is to be like, Parts of this uh, happened, but parts didn't happen. It's like, fuck, okay, dog, just leave this part out then. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, mean, or I would say that in a movie that is more based on reality than this film, I actually appreciate that it's gone that direction because it's like, look, it's admitting up top, look, this is a movie, some of this is bullshit. But, well, as but much it's inspired as I, as by much as I don't love, As much as I don't love the big short, the, that they do keep towing that line where they're going, some of this is true, some of this is not, but- this like this yeah, movie is ninety five percent just totally made up. <laughs> yeah, is it just so to protect themselves from like? Something. Is it just to protect themselves from like those people who like went to see Tar and were mad that that person doesn't actually exist? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it is to make it sound more important than it is because this movie is kind of like reaching for important, but it's it's uh, it's reach exceeds its grasp. Yeah. You know. Uh, as all mankind should, I guess. So we start out, it's New York. <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's New York in 1933, uh, and we're introduced to our most of the time narrator, but not all the time. This is Bert Berenson, played by Christian Bale, and he is a uh, World War I veteran who uh, 
focuses on making facial prosthetics for disfigured World War I veterans like himself. He has a uh, he has a missing eye with a glass eye, and he wears a back brace, and he's always getting in trouble for ex- making experimental drugs and testing them on himself, a character quirk which never quite becomes a plot point or a real character trait. Like, it just kind of pops up every now and then. I mean, it does and I to, and, It does justify how long the monologue at the end of the movie is because it is I guess, the ravings of a stoned man. But That's true. <laughs> uh, and I feel like you see a movie like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas where you're like, this movie feels like it is about characters who are high all the time, and the movie is making me feel like that, whereas this kind of doesn't get it across. But the main pro- my main problem with Burt Berenson, I don't know if you guys had this issue, his voice and his mannerisms – are like it, they are so stiffly attempting to be Jewish that yes. they are New York Jewish that it edges into anti-Semitism. And I was like, is this what Christian Bale thinks Jewish people look and sound like? Like mm. it's ridiculous. And he keeps talking about how he's half Catholic, half Jewish. And I'm like, well, maybe that's why he's such an unconvincing Jewish person. I don't know. Your thoughts as Gentiles. Uh, as a Gentile, I mean, I guess I wasn't attuned to This was that. the first thing I was going to ask you about. <laughs> <laughs> I... I mean, Audrey said, oh, he's like, it's like Christian Bale Kramer. And uh, that's yes. kind of what yeah. it is. He's doing his own like Midge Maisel thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, it, I, I, I saw it read, written somewhere described as uh, Columbo by way of Pacino. Mm. Oh, which doesn't, okay. Which, which, feel, which is like, yeah, I could see that. That makes sense. It's, but it does feel like he is, he's going for New York Jewish and he's not quite hitting it. But he is, it does feel like he's trying for it. Yeah. Uh, so, He's best friends with a lawyer uh, named Harold Woodman, played by John David Washington. This is his war buddy. They met. They were fought together in World War One. And uh, Harold comes to him and says, "Hey, I need you to perform an autopsy on a man who means a lot to us, General Bill Meekins, the man who is our commanding officer in World War One, who will go on to be played by Ed Begley Jr." Now, because- John, D- John David Washington, very handsome, very charismatic, and talented seems to have drawn the short straw for quirky characters in this movie. Yeah. Yes. He, is, yes. he is sedate where everyone else is is frantic. Well, most other people are frantic. There are a couple, Zoe Saldana is pretty sedate. Margot Robbie is, or Robbie rather, is is kind of just left adrift by her character. <laughs> we'll talk about that when she comes yeah, up. Yeah, I think, but. well, I think it's this movie, and I, I don't want to keep accusing this movie of things that are unfair, but this movie at times feels like an episode of Seinfeld where all the white people get to be wacky doodle, you know, wackadoodle crazies. Yeah, yeah. And all the black people, their job is to like roll their eyes at these wackadoodle crazy white people and the black people don't get to have fun. It's a little bit like that. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, he, Liz Meekins, the general's daughter, played by Taylor Swift in, I have to say, probably my favorite performance in the film, to be honest, because it felt the most like a real person. I was like, I like, you know, <laughs> shortly before she left the film under She shocking, certainly gets run over by a truck shocking like a real person. <laughs> uh, but I, <laughs> yes, right before that happened, I turned to Audrey, I'm like, really good in this? And I was like, I yeah. was just thinking that. And the thing is like, I mean, you know, I we're both fans of, her uh, music, particularly the last few albums, uh, for me, uh, Audrey. Like you her mean earlier. you and Audrey, not you and me. Yes, I, I don't. I don't like or dislike. It's I, just not my type. Of I thing. think she's very good, and I, you know, Bumble Arena was no, was no chance to judge her acting ability. So I was glad to see that. I thought she put in a good, good, good job here. She comes out the best of it. Uh, so she, Liz Meekins, she. she, she she suspects her father's death of being foul play. She wants them to perform a secret autopsy. They have two hours to do it. So they got to rush that corpse out of that funeral home real fast. Uh, and then uh, the 
Chris Rock shows up uh-huh. as Milton, and he's like a friend of theirs who I guess works for Harold and was also in World War One. And there's never a real reason why Chris Rock is particularly in this movie, except <laughs> to like show up and tell a joke every now and then, uh, yeah. and then to get and to help and then to help say the moral at the end. Yeah. Um, and so they they rush it out. Bert is like, I don't want to do this. I hate doing autopsies. It's fine because most of the autopsy work is done by. Irma St. Clair, played by Zoe Saldana. And if it always already, it's usually it's Zoe Saldana, but she started being credited with a tilde over oh, the end. Oh, okay. So I think that's her family name is, her father's last name was Saldana, I think. So I think she's trying to reclaim okay. her actual Thank you for explaining, because I just thought you put some English on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah actually, some Spanish is what I mean. <laughs> uh, but I don't know how she pronounces it. But for a long time, she's been Zoe Saldana, but she's credited here very as Zoe Saldana. But so, uh, the she she does most of the work. She's a nurse. They kind of just need Bert's signature on it because he's a doctor. But it's implied that his medical license is either on probation or has been suspended. Yeah. So I don't know why his signature would be so good on an autopsy. He's, anyway, he's mostly at this point a legal drug dealer for uh, veterans in pain. At this yeah. point, yes. And uh, they've both been unlucky in love. Harold is clearly trying to set. Bert Which is like Irma the kind up. of like to a drug dealer, like the way that like a serial killer who only kills other serial killers is, right? Where it's like, oh, <laughs> it's okay that he does this because he's doing it for good, you know? Uh, I, yeah, I, I guess. Wait, I mean, hold on. He's doing it for good. It, it would be okay even if he wasn't a veteran who needed medication. Uh, oh, that you know, part. To, I was like, I thought you were arguing in favor of the moral appropriateness of setting him up with Zo- Zoe Saldana. And I'm like, no, that seems fine. I don't understand why we have to justify that with. No, veterans. that's totally fine. They <laughs> clearly have some chemistry, but they he can't act on it because he's married and still hung up on his wife, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, a, a phrase that comes up a lot in the movie is the idea that Christian Bale followed the wrong God home. And there's a lot of very pretentious language like that in the movie. It's a movie that I'm just going to say right now early on. Watching this movie, I was like, is this what it feels like when people who don't like Wes Anderson watch a Wes Anderson movie? Where people yeah. talk in like an artificial tone of voice and it's very kind of either wacky or mannered and there's a separation between reality and this and there's a lot of like pretty costumes from the past and stuff like that. Except David O. Russell's movies are by by choice chaotic messes. That's what he prefers to make. Yes. Whereas Wes Anderson's are very controlled. So I feel like Wes Anderson for me really works because I'm like I'm never supposed to be in reality. I'm in his reality and he gets to an emotional truth through it. Whereas with this movie it feels like David O. Russell is trying to get to an emotional truth without – making a choice of being real or unreal, if that makes any sense, uh, you know? I I see why you feel that way. I thought about this too. Uh, I, he also, you know, it's also kind of reminiscent of a lot of people invoked the Coen brothers, like this sort of sprawling, like capery thing with a bunch yes. of wacky characters. And they also, you know, have their characters speak and, uh, and heighten dialects all the time to sort of uh, clue you into the fact that perhaps you don't need to take this as... Uh, existing in our reality as literal reality yeah yeah and i didn't I'm, I, I think that i imagine that a lot of the people who watched this who liked it less than i did i.e you elliot and me uh maybe Don't yeah forget i know Stu. but we're talking <laughs> we're talking to elliot right now we'll get to you Stuart. oh shit <laughs> you're gonna get take your licks no 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 i i just I, a lot of people who didn't like it whether it be the two of you or others i think had this problem where it's like it didn't clue enough into maybe that this reality is not a thing that you need to be taken seriously. So the things that are said just seem unreal, you know, like they seem like, well, exactly. well no yeah, one would feel, be like this, but I didn't well, have that feel, issue. So I, I don't know. It's just I, personal. And I think, I mean, 
it's one of those things also where I think you're right. I think there is part of that, that it if the movie had chosen to be more artificial or less artificial, it mm-hmm. might have worked more for me, but the, but it doesn't – the sensibility is not clear. Right. But also if it was funny, I wouldn't have cared as much. Yes. If it was exciting, I wouldn't have cared yes. as much. The difference between Wes Anderson movies and this is Wes Anderson movies are really funny. Coen Brothers movies are really funny and they're exciting because the Coen Brothers are maybe the greatest living filmmakers, yeah. I would say, at least in America. Wes Anderson – his movies can be hit and miss, but I love him overall, and I think he's super talented. Whereas for, what's weird for David O. Russell is that, like, for someone who's made so many movies, I feel like every time he kind of forgets how a movie works <laughs> and how to show things visually. He likes to slop he it up. Has, he, he puts yeah. some he water like on those it, <laughs> it, it does feel like a lot of scenes feel like acting exercises that they're yes. just like, yeah. yeah, let's run with it. We'll fix it in post. And I think it and that totally— was one of my, that, Sorry, I think it just totally uh, has to do with whether or not you, like, find the characters— like fun to hang out. Like that was like where I'm yes, just like this is I think that's true. sloppy and that's part of what I enjoy about it. Like I just don't mind hanging out with the characters even though some of them are more boring than others. Mm-hmm. But I can also I think, totally get why it doesn't work for people. Like I get yeah, it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean my issue with American Hustle was partly that like the movie just kind of would forget it was a story for a long time and you just watch the characters – yelling at each other and it was like I feel like I'm watching a bad improv show right now where everyone's yeah. just yelling at each other with accents on and in this one I think it makes sense Dan that it's sloppy but you enjoyed spending time with these characters I, I felt it was sloppy and I did not like these characters yeah. and, and didn't want to spend time with them and also and the worst thing as we'll get to it when you're watching characters having a beautiful great time mm-hmm. and you're not keyed into it <laughs> it becomes offensive to you yeah. it's like it, it, there are scenes in this these we're getting up to the where, well it feels like when you watch the end of <laughs> SNL and everyone's hugging as if they had a transcendent experience and you're like, that was a fucking shitty show. Like, what? this makes me matter that you guys are acting like yes. you just pulled off a Tom Stoppard play, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, like, anyway, a, so, like a, a three-pointer at the buzzer and the whole team won. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so, Liz, so they find evidence of foul play that he may have been poisoned. Uh, it's hard, Liz Meekins, he, she doesn't show up where they're supposed to meet up, but she kind of, st- they find her. She's scared of being caught. She says her dad saw and knew something that got him in trouble. But before she can say what it is, a guy just runs up and pushes her in front of a truck uh-huh. and she gets hit by she a truck gets, and killed. Yeah, gets <laughs> run over. And, it's, and, and then the guy. It's pretty funny. It's genuinely shocking it's pretty to funny. see yeah. uh, Taylor Swift just be pushed into the street yeah, and yeah. a truck ran over. <laughs> so, and that was a moment that worked for me because I genuinely was not expecting it to happen so fast. Uh-huh. And, uh, and this is Timothy Oliphant, right? Uh-huh. In a very heavy makeup. Yeah, uh, yeah which I did not know until the end credits because he's yeah, gross. They gross him all. up. They gross. They yeah. gross handsome him. man, and he looks. They really buried those <laughs> diamond cutting uh, yeah. cheekbones under heavy putty, and he pushes her in front of a truck, and then just points at the, them and goes. Hey, they did it, and everyone immediately <laughs> believes it. There is a line uh, later on when they're being questioned by the police, but where they're like, "Yeah, he's he was able to do it because he's good at being a criminal." And I'm like, "Yeah, I guess that's true." <laughs> yeah, he convinced and, uh, he convinced the crowd. I mean, he controlled the narrative. He was the first one to say anything. Uh, he's point, he said it. He's pointing at you know in the past. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, we don't even have to qualify it. Unfortunately, he's pointing yeah. at a black man and uh, a a. Crazy-looking drug addict. I mean, um, Christian Bale throughout does look like a, a maniac, you know. But yeah, so the, uh, I, it's a it's, it's an easy crime to pull off. Perhaps giving the lie goes, that he's get good at crime. Whose eyeball keeps mo- falling out? How much? How much money do you think <laughs> was put into those eyeball effects? I think a lot. A lot, I think so. Uh, and within moments, they are they are defending themselves to the crowd, and then suddenly running as a police officer shoots at them. Uh, and then this is when, uh oh, they're on the run. 
uh, they're on the, they might get caught for a murder they didn't they didn't commit. Hey guys, weren't you wondering how they became friends? Let's jump back to 1918 because <laughs> yeah. you know what? I wasn't wondering. <laughs> yeah. I could just take it for granted that they were old war buddies. Let's but we slow have to the narrative to, down a little bit. Why not? <laughs> but we have to be introduced to the third member of their triumvirate that we don't know about. So Bert's in-laws convince him to enlist in the war, and suddenly we're in France. Uh, General Meekins puts uh, Bert in charge of a group of black soldiers uh, th- who are – uh, being because the white the, the white soldiers being racist to them. This is also loosely based on truth that uh, there was a unit of uh, American black soldiers who ba- who are treated as part of the French army because the white soldiers from America would not work with them. Mm. And so the idea, and they keep saying it's a dishonor. You have to wear the French uniform. In real life, they wore an American uniform with a French helmet and some other French stuff. But anyway, it doesn't matter. The point: this is more true than some of the other stuff in it. So you only give it uh, one Pinocchio. Yeah, half, I give, half, half, half I give it Pinocchio. I just give it a p- half Pinocchio's nose. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just looks like it's a slightly longer than normal nose. Yeah, uh, a Cyrano nose. Put, uh-huh. Yes, the kind of nose that you probably shouldn't be contouring because mm-hmm. it's already noticeable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. embrace it. Uh, it's, yeah, embrace it. Let's call it ultra aqualine. Now, uh, and not ultra aqua lung, which would be a combination of the movie Ultraviolet <laughs> and the Jethro Tull album Aqua Lung. I think we go a little something I bet they, like this. I bet they sync up. <laughs> Let's let's pause the podcast and sync up. Try to sync it up and see if uh, is that Shirley Shirley's there in, in Ultraviolet or am I think, uh, I think or so. is it uh is it's, or is it um Wait, is that Christian Bale as well Ultraviolet? No, that's Equilibrium. Oh I think. yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, see if it see if it. Are you anyway, thinking it might it, be <laughs> Mia Jovovich? Mia, it might, but because Mia. Mia Jovovich is is she Resident Evil or is she Ultraviolet? I, think I can't she's remember. Both. Oh no, Ultra... Shirley's there on is Aeon Flux. That's yeah. right. So. So who's an ultraviolet? Is it Mia Jovovich? It's Mia. Okay. It's so, Mia. Whoops. We got. We so just earned us get, a Pinocchio. Yeah. If you do yeah, that, so see if you see, send us a YouTube link to your mix mashup. Send us a YouTube link of Mia Jovovich shooting people to locomotive breath, and we'll see. We'll see how it syncs up. Uh, so the uh, he puts uh, Bert in charge of these soldiers, and Harold is one of them. He makes, and so is Chris Rock, his character Milton. And Harold makes a deal: we'll keep you safe if you keep us safe. Which is kind of, it feels like that should be the deal between yeah, any commanding officer and, and the, the sort of soldiers army overseen. Thing. Hopefully. Anyway, they do. They must do a bad job because they all get shot up and get sent to a hospital where uh, Margot Robbie is a nurse working there or a medic. She's patching them up. She gets in trouble because she's taking the metal she removes from their body so that she, uh, for reasons she hasn't explained yet, she's collecting it. And Harold defends her in French and it turns into a mini uprising in the room of all the American yeah. soldiers defending her. And she reveals she's not actually French. She's Valerie Bandenberg, uh, an American <laughs> socialite working in France. And suddenly she's VOing about the instant connection she felt with Harold and with Bert. And it gets very, it's like two people in love is a beautiful thing. But when you are standing outside of that love, it is s- s- sickening. Well, also, right? I will say. Like, yeah, that's why you're always complaining about polycules. <laughs> Unless it, I, <laughs> no, because I mean, if th- this if this had become a polycule, I would have found it more interesting than it just being Harold and Val and their friend Bert who hangs around and shares a room yeah, with them. So exactly. I guess it's just closing his ears while they have sex. Like I don't yeah. like if they there's no anyway. It never, it's not interesting. It never goes full. It, yeah, uh, three, love triangle. Like, it never well, goes full threesome, jewels and gems. Like just yeah, yeah. Uh, happy threesome. Um, but I, Margot Robbie here. You know, well. First, let's talk about the them being in love because I'm not, I'm unless two actors have like they're both very attractive. They're both very attractive, but unless two actors have like really strong chemistry together, I tend not to 
think about it that much. I just accept in most movies, like, they'll tell you, like, oh, they're in love. And I'm like, sure, fine. Because, like, I don't know. In life, when I see my friends who are in love, they're not, like, I'm not, like, it's electric at every moment between them. I'm just like, yeah, they (laughs) they love each other. But this movie, maybe I'm wrong, I felt like had (laughs) not that much chemistry between these two very attractive people. I agree. And the movie is trying very hard to present this as a love for the ages, a transcendental Mm -hmm. love. And I felt like they did not have much chemistry. So the movie is trying very hard to convince you of something that, it's not showing. And I feel like one of the great things about movies, one of the most powerful things about movies is when they take an emotion, a character you're watching, who's not real is feeling, and, yeah. or real if it's documentary, and they make you feel it. And the best movies about love, they do make you feel not just that these characters in love, but you become affected by the penumbra of that love, to use Supreme Court talk that has <laughs> since been overruled in the Dobbs decision, I guess. But the, that uh, they make you feel the glow of that love and... The movie is trying so hard, and Bert keeps talking about how he feels it. But as a viewer, I know I did not feel it, and so it just felt cloying and kind of like, yeah, not not you know, it's it's like that scene in um Garden State where she puts that headphones on, and he listens to that song, and it's like if you're not keyed into that feeling of that song, then that that moment is is Wait, stomach churning. Are, are you telling you know? are you telling me that there's a flaw in the movie Garden State, Dan's <laughs> just favorite the one, movie? Just the one. Just the one flaw. I, I do think also one of the problems with their romance is that of the three leads, like a lot of energy gets put into characterizing Christian Bale and not so much into these other characters. Like John well, David Washington doesn't get a lot. I think Margot Robbie gets the worst of it. I think that she's a yeah. tremendous performer, like obviously like movie star, like beautiful and charismatic, but also like game for very like- Very talented. Very talented. And like- Yeah. It's she's amazing. Barbie for fucking God's sake. Yeah. Well, it's amazing how much like this movie Iconic. does- Even though I liked it, it does like really like dampen her spark in particular, I feel like. Yeah. Well, she's she's not playing a character. She's playing like she, yeah. I mean, to, to use an overused phrase, uh, pro, uh, credit to uh, Nathan Rabin, friend of the show. She's playing a manic pixie dream girl. Mm-hmm. Like she is, she is the manic pixie dream girl who is also the the at later on, as we'll see, the like girl with a medical problem, which makes her fragile and therefore more beautiful. Yeah, you know, or more gives her more zest for life or whatever. And so, <laughs> and her, when you meet, so her one characteristic is he. She is taking the these uh these shrapnel pieces for her bizarre artworks that yeah, is so, the only so, thing wait, she's given. <laughs> let me let me go take you through this whole scene because this is the scene. I feel like if this scene didn't exist in the movie, I might have liked the whole movie better. Is she goes, Okay, I'll tell you to uh what what I use the metal for in exchange for something beautiful. So Bert leads them through making up a nonsense song in French made out of nonsense phrases which they all sing together mm-hmm. and it's so beautiful to her that she shows she's making kind of art pieces and toys with the shrapnel and as i wrote my notes who boy is it twee and we yeah. get a you know just a montage of her showing off different things where she's like it's just very cutesy and precious and is, and it, is this like, the scene that like culminates in like like head-on character shots of them and they just say amsterdam over and over no, that's or is the that that's the end of the sequence the, okay. well that happens at the oh. Yeah, this, that's kind of the end of the answer sequence. But yeah, it's very, it's very precious, and not based on the novel Push by Sapphire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it's, it's, it's precious in a, in a, in a cloying way, in a humble figure. No, you know, this is, you know. this is my least favorite part of the movie. Uh, just slightly below the long explanatory ending, which we'll eventually oh, talk about. Boy, when they when they go overboard <laughs> explaining the most obvious twist in the history of movies. Yeah. Like, not since Death on the Nile has there been a more obvious villain reveal. Like, wait but a anyway. minute. 
all the characters we don't like are bad guys and in on the conspiracy. Okay, cool. And That's all the convenient. ones who seem yeah. pretty nice are, are good. All nice and good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, they sneak off to Amsterdam together, and this is when it start, this sequence starts off with them meeting up with two of her friends who are clearly spies, Mike Myers and Michael Shannon, <laughs> uh, in, the, in the role of uh, Paul Canterbury, an English now, spy, and Henry Norcross, an American hold spy. Hold on, Stuart. Yeah, yeah, my, my neighbor, Michael Shannon. Yeah. Surely you found something to enjoy in the double act of Mike Myers and Michael Shannon birdwatching spies. I mean, I could have get. I, I mean, give me more of that, please. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the two of them, it gets annoying by the end of it, but I like when they first show up. Yeah. I enjoy it. The same way that when Michael Myers shows up in Inglorious Bastards, I was like, yeah. Michael Myers like shows up? <laughs> when Mike Myers shows up, sorry. But that, would be, when Michael My- that would actually when, be really, really wild if you think about it. <laughs> when Mike, when if, if Brad Pitt's like, I want 50 German scalps from each of you, and Mike, Michael Myers is just like, eh, not a problem. <laughs> like, and you're like, I he talks now? <laughs> I, I just really, I, one of the things I enjoyed about this character is like I felt like there was a certain <laughs> bizarre realism in the way that like they were portrayed as company men where it's like they're clearly spies but they're like no 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 we're not spies you know we run we uh we make glass eyes and we're bird watchers and yeah, everyone we- in the room knows that they actually are spies yeah, and luckily and this is a the movie lie but and, and well, luckily the movie assumes we're fucking yeah. babies because it actually puts their actual titles in like a little title card underneath them and i'm like i fucking knew that shit dude you didn't have to show it's, it to me it's amazing how much this movie and i have to assume these are things that were put in afterwards because maybe test audiences were confused because the movie was moving to best it's amazing how often the movie underlines incredibly obvious information or just doesn't trust the audience uh so they uh they go on about birds they have a bunch of taxidermied birds they're bird watchers (laughs) and they're like hey we're gonna give uh uh christian bale we're gonna give you a lifetime supply of glass eyes and in return you're going to owe us a spy favor at some point at some point because we'll have to go to war again because as Margot Robbie says the dream repeats itself because it forgets itself <laughs> yeah. but this is and the because, good part because we assume automatically that you <laughs> will be involved in some sort of uh thing that will need your help that God, that's the funny part to me sucks. like they can't know yeah. that later on he's going to be embroiled in this well, it's conspiracy like, hey, you're you're a one-eyed you're a one-eyed doctor and you're a lawyer I'm going to need your help at some point in the future to keep America for, safe for, for a democracy. For joke I'm writing <laughs> about yeah. you walking into a bar. <laughs> Can I mine your uh, life rights for that? <laughs> the uh, So now there's a long sequence of them just dancing and partying in Amsterdam. Uh, this joyous time in Amsterdam is basically just them in one in a one-room apartment <laughs> dancing all the time. Uh-huh. Mike Myers seen, does a I've sand dance. I've seen the dreamers before. I know what it's yeah, like, right? It's, I mean, said at a different time, but yeah, pretty much the same, same thing. Same thing. <laughs> Except the dreamers had the guts to have them all have sex with each other. Yes. So, you know. I want to make it so clear anyway. that uh, uh, in case listeners heard it too fast, Mike Myers did a sand dance and not a fan dance like Uhura no, no, in Star Trek dance. Five. Uh, he, no, no, was, he, he just dances around on some sand. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he dances around some sand while dressed as the guy in "You Can't Take It With You," who is posing for a pic for a drawing, <laughs> where he's like, where he's like wearing kind of Roman clothes, but also re- old, re- you know, modern shoes. But anyway, yeah. Um, uh, Valerie joins Harold and Bert's friend pact. Harold and Valerie on love, blah, blah, blah. This goes on for a while. It gets very repetitive. Bert says, I have to go back to New York to be with my wife. Uh, 
And they're like, don't go, don't go. It's Life is perfect here. And he has to go. But when he gets back, his father-in-law blacklists, blacklists him from the hospital he works at immediately for working with veterans, which is weird. Yeah. Which is, it's like, I could see that maybe happening after like Vietnam. Yeah. I don't know. But after World War One, I, I mean, maybe that happened. I don't know. Well, maybe veterans were so hated after World War One. you know. We missed, uh, or we I don't remember us talking about it, like a, scene, a very quick scene in the flashback earlier where- um, Bird is being sent off to war by you know his in-laws, and it, it seems sort of clear that maybe they'd be happy if he didn't come back. Like, yeah, they're mm-hmm. portraying it as like this will make your name; you'll get respect on yeah. Park Avenue or whatever. But they kind of don't want him to come back. That's yeah. true. So, uh, Harold, he has to practice medicine in an alleyway. <laughs> he gets a morphine addiction. He goes to jail. Uh, Harold wants Valerie because they know she's rich to use her connections to help Bert. She doesn't want her family to know where she is, and she agrees to help, but then she disappears. And they don't, and they never see her again, or will or they? Will they? It's yeah. a movie. Yeah, we'll find now out. Now back to 1933, they're on the run. They go to Bert's wife's apartment, and at first she's very cold to them, but then she checks his back, which is all scarred. She talks about how ugly and grotesque it is, but it's implied that she's turned on by his wounds and that he's not comfortable yeah. with that. This is never touched on again. No, they have a the very strange relationship, which kind of makes it feel re- weird, like real to me. But yes. also, I'm yeah. not quite sure what it is. Where. Yeah, yeah, she seems to be sort of turned on by the fact that he's so b- broken and injured seeming and he doesn't want to be that. But also, like, she sort of hates him but also seems to have, like, genuine love for him, just not in a way that allows her to behave in a way that he would be happy with. I don't know. I feel like this, I feel like she is, she's not given a, so this is, this is, Beatrice, this is Beatrice played by Adrian Rise, uh, Andrea Riseborough. Maybe she's bringing some of the feel of possessor with her to this uh, character uh-huh. because this character is definitely right. more complicated and weirder in a in a kind of not weird in a like oh I'm so kooky I make art out of shrapnel but weird in a like it's hard to gauge exactly what's happening within her emotionally yes. at any given point. And I feel like she's succeeding the way a lot of the other actors are not in giving depth to an underwritten character, but it doesn't really fit what the movie yes, is doing. Yes, because like want, we're, yeah. we're, introduced to this, uh, we're introduced to this character by other people talking about her. And we're so the impression we have is that she is maybe a shrew or shrill and she is not going to let him be himself and that she wants nothing to do with him. But then when we're introduced to her, we're like, who is this weirdo? Yeah, and plus, ultimately, yeah. she is very helpful to him, even if she's wrong for him. Yes, like so. You know, I forgot that was her and Mandy too. As Mandy, she's really good. Yeah, she does. She yeah. she's good. Yeah, she's really good. Anyway, so uh, the yeah, I mean, this uh, so the the quality of talent is not the problem <laughs> of this movie. No, that's yeah, true. This movie it's has an amazing cast. Stars. <laughs> this it's is- an amazing <laughs> cast. That's true. So <laughs> that's that's a good point. Uh, so uh, she's like. She, they want her to, to help. It's it's weird. They kind of assume in this movie that every person who's connected to rich people has, just has what they like strings to pull, which I guess is probably true. But uh, she tells uh, she uh, helps them identify that uh, that uh, before Taylor Swift got killed, they thought he's. She said Mr. Rose, and she goes, "You mean Mr. Vose? Mr. Vose? Tim Vose? He's a he's a rich person. I know him." And that's when the cops barge in. Uh, but it's cops. One of them, Bert knows, and is a regular patient of Bert's because he's also a World War One veteran. Yeah, played the by other one, played by Matthias Schoenarts from A Bigger Splash mm-hmm. and oh. The Old Guard. Yep, and the and, and uh, the other the, is uh, what Dickie Maltasanti <laughs> from Many Saints in Newark. Yeah, Alessandra Navola. He's really good too, as like the 
doofusy cop. I mean, they're but, both good, but yeah, they're both good. He's very defensive, also because yeah. he didn't serve, and he's very defensive about it. Yeah, they're both good, but it also feels like, do we need this much? Do we need no, this guy to point. like pick up random shit and break it on accident? <laughs> I no. loved it. And, and do we, I, and I, do I we, loved that. I loved her reaction I mean, when he broke the thing. I mean, I, I, I mean that, it's funny. I I'm that, just like, well, come on, movie. <laughs> I, well, I did like. I did like that. That character, the way he's portrayed, you don't know if he's being threatening or clumsy. It's yeah. a little yeah. bit of both. But also that these characters, I found them genuinely more funny than some of the others. But I think you're right, Stuart. Does the movie need? these characters to have as much going on with them when they just need to be two threatening cops mm -hmm. that keep coming up and bothering mm. our main characters, especially because you're saying they still they never focus. Really do much. Of, they still focus while never really doing much of anything because yeah. they're never a genuine threat. And they it, always let the heroes go away. If this was know. a role-playing game, I would be like the dungeon master is putting way too much fucking time into these NPCs. <laughs> <laughs> that like that you, it's a dungeon and, and the dungeon master has put all of his prep into the two guards at the entrance gates. You yes. have a hilarious routine, but two of them. <laughs> and then you walk into the dungeon and the monsters are like, and then there's, I guess like a dragon, I don't know, blah, blah, dragon. And you're like, shouldn't you focus more on this? I mean, yes. I will say apropos to that, like we'll get to the ending but I know that I, movies are not shot in sequence at all. But this movie has this uncanny Except feeling. Except for E.T. Yeah, this movie has the uncanny feeling of a film that they put a lot of energy into it at the beginning and then just like ran out of energy as it like went along. And then, you know, like the John Mulaney joke about writing happy birthday. Like they're like cramming as much as they can into the last 20 minutes. Sorry, but. I got really distracted. Dan's showing a video that's a Christmas <laughs> special where the uh, guys in Ninja Turtles costumes just showed up with Alan Thicke and he's like performing a song and they're dancing around him. I it's it's wild. That's I the best picture I can I'm showing a video. I had a stream on uh, that a friend was doing of old Dis I mean, it's, Disney I mean, it holiday. Is it, it is unprofessional for you to be running a video <laughs> arts gallery while you're supposed to be podcasting. I have not been distracted by it I think once. that's being extra professional. <laughs> I, know, I know that it's part of part of the Nam June Pike exhibit that you're putting up is he requested that it only be up while you're podcasting, but still. <laughs> I, I, no one would have known if Stuart hadn't spilled the beans. <laughs> but clearly he was distracted by it. So, so No, I should have known anyway. that he's like the dog enough and would not yeah. have been yeah. able to, well, to avoid the siren yeah. call of the Ninja Turtles yeah, yeah. dancing. <laughs> and Alan Thick. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Uh, just like a dog. So what would I do if I caught him, you know? <laughs> so anyway, the cops are like, you, you killed Liz. And they're like, give us some more time to clear our name. And the cops say, okay. And, mm -hmm. this and th next is a moment that I feel talks about the lack of threat and lack of stakes in the movie is yeah. they go outside and Timothy Oliphant just drives by and yells, hey, don't tell anybody anything. Committee of five. And then drives <laughs> off. And and Bert is like, Bert's like, why didn't they just kill us? And it's like, yeah, movie, why didn't he just kill you? And why did he yell the name of the bad guys the movie, who are secret? The movie does never adequately answer those questions. No. Hey, he might as well say, I'm doing this for a secret committee that's trying to pull off a coup. Don't tell nobody. Scout's on her now. I, I know, mean, I, yeah, I think that the idea, I guess, is that killing he them He pushed Taylor Swift in front of a truck. I know, Why not I know. kill the morphine addict and the black guy? No one's going to care. It's the 30s. I Yes, I know. I'm saying that if, if there's any rationale I can think of, it is that killing them draws more attention to the conspiracy. But if that's so, just let them go. <laughs> let them go and, like, <laughs> rave around and take their luck with the police, you know? 
Uh, so anyway, uh, they go to see Mr. Vose. They go to his estate. Uh, they pretend to be charity collectors for an Episcopalian charity. V- Mr. Vose apparently isn't in, but his wife, uh, played by uh, Libby, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, is there. And I liked Anya Taylor-Joy in this movie too, to be honest. I feel like I, I haven't seen too many movies where she gets to not have a mystical side or a, a strange side, but just gets to be kind of like a jerk, you know? Um we don't get. I feel like I don't get to see too many yeah, uh, performances I, I, by her where she gets to just be a, a flat-out jerk person, you know. Yeah, no, I, I think that this movie uses her kind of alien quality well where it's like, what is this person's deal? Like, they yeah. seem and I mean, to be— and, and by the very end, we'll get there. There's one moment where she's talking about real energy and talking to beings from another yes, planet. Yeah. That, that, that only comes up for a second. Uh, that's when, uh-oh. Valerie walks in and they all recognize each other because of course they, why wouldn't they recognize each other? It was the most important moment of their lives. And uh, Valerie tells them she told Liz to hire them to investigate her father's murder. And she's actually not Valerie uh, Bandenberg. She's Valerie Vose of New Jersey. And Harold is offended that she's been in America for years and never got in touch with them. And she tells them, she, they learn from Anya Taylor-Joy from her that she has a nerve disorder now she's, somehow. She's behaving, she, she's behaving strangely at this point. Yes. She's not yeah, behaving she, like she was back in Amsterdam. She's lost her joie de vivre, and she's got nausea and vertigo and weakness. And so they say she has a nerve disorder. Uh, and uh, Anya, Libby, Anya Taylor-Joy, is her sister-in-law, and she sends a big thug uh, to beat them up. And he punches Bert out, but then Harold punches the thug out. Bert wakes up to meet the guy they came to see, Tom Vose, played by Rami Malek. So you know instantly he's the villain. Yes. You know yes. instantly he's the bad guy. If Rami Malek doesn't have big Freddie Mercury horse teeth in his mouth, you know he's the bad That's the guy. Thing. You don't you don't cast him in a supporting role to not be the bad guy. If he's the lead, yes. maybe he's then he a, could be the good a lovable guy, maybe, yeah. weirdo of some kind. But yeah. as a side character, he is the villain. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's <laughs> much like, like a Max von Sydow type. Yeah. Exactly. Much like latter-day Max von Sydow or latter-day uh, uh, Ed Harris, he <laughs> radiates I'm the villain in this movie, you know. And I'm sure he's a very nice man in real life. Uh, we're we're friendly with people who are friends with him, though I've never met him, and he apparently he's a very nice person. But anyway, so uh, Valerie argues with her sister-in-law. Everyone's arguing, uh, and... Uh, this is when Christian Bale is at his most fake Jewishness with his, the way he's gesturing so stiffly. But anyway, uh, Ray, uh, Anya starts blaming Valerie for Liz's death, for getting these guys involved. Anyway, Tom says, I'd love to help you. I can't get personally involved. I am just a bird watcher. That's what I specialize in. I don't like to get involved in this stuff. But you know who you can talk to? The most decorated Marine of World War I, General Gil Dillenbeck. I, and I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, I know plot-wise why Tom is sending them to go talk to Gil Dillenbeck. Mm-hmm. It's part of the evil plan. But movie logic-wise, I don't know why in that moment that character— why I don't know why Harold and Bert are like, yeah, that makes sense. We'll talk to this other general. No, the, con- the conspiracy doesn't make any sense no matter how much time they try at the end to put into explaining it because yeah, I, we'll talk about it when we get there, but there's a point in which uh, the movie switches over from like— okay, our heroes are in danger from the bad guys too. For some reason, the heroes and the, like, like the bad guys want the heroes to be at the place where they're doing their evil scheme. And it never well, quite makes any sense to tur- me. Yeah, it turns into a trap, the bad guy. It's, I mean, everyone in this movie, much like <laughs> the real life conspiracy that it's based on, everybody is kind of flat-footedly running around, stumbling over their own feet. And I feel like, even though it's not based on this story, I feel like Burn After Reading gives such a better sense of like 
people who are think that they are spies or think that they're in a conspiracy and are just bumbling into <laughs> each other because they don't know what they're doing, which is how much of actual history works. Anyway, uh, they go, General Dillenbeck, he was, oh, this is why, he goes, he was, he was with Meekins at one point during his travels. Maybe he can tell you why he was poisoned. And they watch a newsreel that is just to show <laughs> us who Dylan Beck a is. A privately owned newsreel. That's right. Yes. At the time. You know who he is. Because well, the idea is that, that, Libby has, that Libby has such a crush on General Dylan Beck that they watch this newsreel. And Dylan played Beck is played by present by Ro- day Robert De Niro. <laughs> Re- present day Robert De Niro, who's an old man. Who is, <laughs> and it's it's similar to the Irishman where it was like, here's him in World War II. He, we de-aged him so it only looks like he's in his 50s when he was fighting in World War II. Like, General, we're supposed to believe that he was fighting in World War One 15 years ago. I guess as a general, so maybe, but he was already an old man. So anyway, uh, the whole point of the newsreel is to show, is to introduce the audience, kind of poorly if you're not familiar with it, to the bonus army march of uh, of the 1920s when the, or I guess it was, the, maybe it, was the late, it was the early 30s maybe, I can't remember exactly when it was, but there was a period where World War One veterans, they were owed a bonus by the government, or at least they wanted a bonus by the government because so many of them were living in poverty. And they marched on Washington and encamped in Washington. And eventually the U.S. Army, led by Douglas MacArthur, and and I think Patton was involved too, just came out and forced them out and attacked them. And so the idea is that Dylan Beck was the leader of the Bonus Army March, a real thing that actually happened. And the newsreel melts partway through, and they talk about how they have to get another one. And Howard uh, Howard Because of, uh, of, of gremlins, right? Yeah. Gremlins caused that? Well, yes. it, it melted because we got all the information we needed. <laughs> Yeah, basically. M- move it along, movie. <laughs> I mean, that is a good, that is a good way to to do. Oh, so this was in. Uh, sorry, it was in 1932. So it was the 30. It was right after. It was during the depression. Right after that. Uh, anyway, they were they were marchers who were demanding more money for their service uh, and did not get it. Uh, so they uh, Harold and Valerie they have a moment together, but they're like, "Oh, our love is impossible here." Da 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 da. And Tom talks to Bert, and at this point, I was kind of wondering, like. Why is this scene still going on? Why aren't they? Why haven't they left? Tom tells Bert, though, there's there's this unscrupulous British bird watcher who steals eggs, and that's the kind of person who probably killed Meekin. Meekin, and it's like we know he's talking about Mike Myers' character, but he doesn't come out and say it, and it never really builds into anything. If he's trying to create suspicion in their minds of his enemies, the uh, the other spies. It never really leads to much. Anyway, <laughs> Valerie is like, take me with you on your detective mission. Uh, but they leave the house without her, uh, and it seems pretty clear And as the doctor shows up. And it seems very obvious already that the medical treatments she's getting to, for her disorder are what's actually causing her symptoms. This is incredibly obvious. Or was it ob- as obvious to you guys as it was to me? Oh, when sure. a sinister doctor comes in and goes, oh, yeah, yeah, she has this disorder. And they're like, she never used to have it. And he's like, well, she has it now. Anyway, I got to inject her with some stuff that makes her feel bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the least, like, yeah. Ugh, I no mean, it does you. make you respect the characters all a lot less that none of them seem to realize this until the end of yeah, the film. Yeah, because it's not even like the movie is giving you red herrings. It's just handing you herrings and saying, <laughs> this isn't a fish. And you're like, I can tell it's a fish. It's a herring. Yeah. Like, it's a regular herring. So anyway, uh, they they get try to get in touch with Dylan Beck over, I guess, the phone or the mail. Uh-huh. Uh, but he turns down Bert's request. Uh, Harold goes back to see Valerie, and they cavort they among like her a little art date. and her yeah, dance. They have a little date. Yeah, and this is when they say Amsterdam at the camera a bunch of times again. Uh, the police show up to Bert's office, and Bert gives the one that gets medicine medicine. Uh, the cops threaten him with closing his office, but this doesn't lead to much. Uh, then Irma, he, the then nurse he like shows locks up. himself in his office to meet with Irma. <laughs> yes, while they like wrist- hide outside that's, and like listen in. That's all very. I mean, like I enjoy 
I enjoyed their double act again, where they're like, "He's like, what's he doing? He's listening to music. He likes music." Yeah, <laughs> he's like, yep. and like they're talking back and forth about the music, and it's kind of amusing how deadpan it is. But I'm, you know, as much as you know, whatever, find happiness with Zoe Saldana. But like, why aren't you immediately dealing with the fact, like, you have not the proof, but she says, like, "Oh, I was." I was attacked by someone. They took the, the They stole stuff. the autopsy notes, which they, My they had promised. My arm is broken. It's obvious that I have been in a fight. Like, why not just tell the police that immediately? It makes me nervous. <laughs> like, I know well, that they want to have a romantic where, moment. But. And they do, it's, a, it's a movie where the characters seem to feel no, uh, seem urgency. to feel no stakes or yeah. urgency. Thank you, urgency. And there are movies where there's an urgent problem. Like, The Big Lebowski is a movie where the joke of the character is how little urgency he feels at times, that he mm-hmm. has a mystery on his hand, so he goes home and takes a bath and lights a bunch of candles. Or like in Haruki Murakami novels, someone will be searching for a missing person and will go home and make pasta for dinner and fold their laundry. And, it's and like, drink a beer. The, <laughs> and, drink, and always drink a beer, that's true. That is the, the quirky thing about it. But here it's like, Christian Bale's like, we gotta meet this doctor. He can clear our name. But first, I'm gonna go to work and I'm gonna have a regular day at work. And when Irma shows up and is like, they broke my wrist and they stole my papers. He's going to turn on the radio so they can kiss for a moment. And it's like, it's a... The weirdest thing then is that his wife shows up all of a sudden just to interrupt the scene and then she leaves again. (laughs) Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. She shows up. Just to, like, remind him that he he shouldn't be... Yeah, slaps him as if she knew that that, that Irma was there. Well, she She does. She did. The, 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 The secretary called... Because, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, but it is weird that she's then, like, she's just there to, like, dangle the possibility of change in front of his face and then leave. Well, it's so funny because it's like the police show up, and then he leaves them so that Irma can show up. And then he leaves that conversation because Beatrice shows up. And now Irma is waiting for Beatrice to finish, and the police are waiting for both of them to finish. And this could be a really funny moment if there was any sense of, like, farcical. You know, urgency. Yeah, and you're talking about isn't. you're talking about urgency and stakes. And early on, the movie it comes up with like an immediate problem where they're like, "We need to have this autopsy done in two hours." That didn't matter at all at that point. And for me, that should have been a clue that the rest of the movie is not going to matter. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because if yeah. you introduce a timeline so- that you multiple times mention, this has to be done quickly. There's no effort to make it seem like they're moving quickly or that it even matters at all. Yeah, I agree. And so the the veteran he he says I'll do you I'll okay I'll 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 let you keep going but you got to get me the contract that Harold signed with Liz Meekin since we wanted the autopsy results and those are missing and then Bert falls down I guess because he takes one of his experimental drugs for a moment uh, Irma and Bert leave the office they're briefly stopped by two old men who sing a song to them because they're rehearsing for this big veterans reunion gala that that Bert is organizing with Harold uh, Bert goes to Harold's office and Val is there. And apparently they had some misadventure that had violence in it, but we don't get to hear about it for a little bit. Again, there's no urgency because they're, uh, Bert's like, we got to go see Meekins. And they, she, they're like, we're on it. And they drive to the Waldorf Astoria to see Paul Canterbury, Mike Myers. And, and Bert's like, we got to go see Meekins. And I'm like, movie, just fucking figure out what you're doing. Like, <laughs> it, like, And Paul gives Bert a new box of glass eyes and a man throws a drink at Bert because he's he's such, because his his he, status in the birding community well, is, so, is so low. Well, he the name of what was the bird. Uh, I, there was a bird that like, they're mad at that he's besmirched the name of it because he's proved that it's a, it's a parasitical bird that will 
yeah. steal other birds' nests. The cuckoo, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. and it, like, and this scene, I don't know about you guys, was so fucking funny. <laughs> I just lost my shit. I had to pause oh, the yeah. movie. I started slapping Stuart. my knee so hard I had to call the doctor. <laughs> my enjoyment of the movie is only growing by how much it has angered you. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Paul takes them to an office where Michael Shannon is. Uh, they both talk cryptically about threats in the world and to England or whatever. And... Uh, Bert doesn't trust them because Tom Vose told them this story about this evil British bird watcher, but that dissipates pretty quickly. And that's when they give their speech about how the cuckoo is a destructive, parasitic bird yeah. that steals other birds' nests and then destroys the nest. And this is supposed to be a metaphor for fascism, mm. basically. And uh, Val says she and Harold, now they finally tell their story, <laughs> that they were at her house and they saw that Timothy Oliphant, the man who pushed Liz Meekins in her car, was outside their house, then left and they decided to follow him. And it's such a ridiculous, it's like, so I guess he was there watching them, right? So why did he leave? What They left and they followed him to a to a, uh, an anonymous building that had a medical clinic in it where they are forced, where they are doing forced sterilizations on black people. This barely ever comes up again. And the medicine all has this vaguely swastika-ish symbol on the bottles. And there are signs that say like the Great Nation Society and stuff like that. They have a briefest fight. There's a brief gunfight. They run away. And Harold is like, I saw a clinic like that in Texas too. And it's like, oh, and you never brought it up until <laughs> this. But and it, there's two things that I find galling about this. One is that the forced sterilization of black people is by far the worst thing that is happening in this movie. And it barely gets mentioned again. Two, this is a thing that states were doing at this time. So the idea that a secret committee is doing this terrible thing when this is a thing that was happening officially, it's like the movie is both trying to, it's like the movie doesn't, it's so, it's just that the movie is so muddled headed in the way it's presenting these things, you know, which only continues. But anyway. Uh, and, and I just want to say a, that forced sterilization of anybody is bad. <laughs> is bad. Yeah, I think we can, let's just go, yeah, in case we need to, let's go on the record that that's bad. Flop it was bad against when it. Was, it. It was bad when I it was happening know. Elon to all Musk. people. That to oh, right. <laughs> well, I, I, Dan, Dan, I hate to tell you, it's too late. He's uh, already got. There's already a lot of little musts. I know. But uh, the uh, but it's also that this that we had we got to see so much goofy stuff happening in real time. But this moment happened in a flashback is a strange thing, and I wonder. It's, it's just a very weird way to structure your movie. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Paul and Henry explain there's a cabal in America that's in league with a German cabal. Now this is 1933. It should just be able to say Nazis, especially because Nazis show up later. But they say it's a committee called Der Fumpf, and our heroes go, Committee of the Five, Committee of the Five. They repeat the words Committee of the Five as if it's got a secret meaning so many times in this movie. And each time it's just like, Committee of the Five, Committee of the Five. And it's like, I, I, yeah, man, we got it. Anyway, yeah. it just, this makes me so mad. Uh, but anyway, Dylan Beck, apparently they say, has also been investigating this Committee of the Five. He, they keep trying to get him to join them, and he keeps leading them on trying to figure out who they are. They got to get Dylan Beck to speak at their Veterans Reunion Gala, and that will draw out the members of the Committee of the Five. Why? I don't, I don't know. know, but that's the plot. That's how it works. Uh, and Valerie's like, I've been having these dizzy spells. I've diagnosed with epilepsy uh, despite not having seizures before they started giving the medicine. Uh, and the medicine makes me worse. And they go to Dylan Beck's. Valerie's feeling very weak. Uh, Dylan Beck's wife, played by Beth Grant, in a very short scene. I wish she had more time. Uh, she won't let them in. Yep. They kind of barely try to convince her. And then our three heroes argue. And then Mrs. Dylan Beck is like, oh, uh, the general says you can meet him. And it's like, well, then what was the point of all that charade? You know, if they <laughs> if they were barely going to have to try. Why? Anyway, 
They go in and there's a guy named McGuire who has a bag of money who shows up once a month to offer Dylan Beck the money to help his committee, which is called the Committee on the Sound Dollar, but he flubs and says Committee of the Five. He just, they don't even have to search for clues. He just says, well, my group, the Committee of the Five, I mean Committee of the Sound Dollar. (laughs) Yeah, he conveniently shows up while they're, you know, stacked on the staircase listening in. Yeah. And so Dylan Beck, Robert De Niro, he says, "Prove, prove your identity to me. I met you once and you sang a song for me. Can you sing it again? And they sing it, it turns out to be their French nonsense song. And he tells them that their friend, Bill Meekins, was killed because he saw something monstrous. And uh, he says that the man downstairs is offering him money to make a speech for these secret conspiracy masters. And Bert says, you come to our gala and we'll lure out the bad guys. And the general is so instantly on their side and says to McGuire, do you want me to be your dictator? Is that it? And it's one of those things where it's like, it's a secret plot that he already seems to have figured out exactly yeah. what it is, and he just goes and says it, and it's a movie everyone's always like, we got to be careful what we say. The Committee of Five is everywhere, and it seems to turn out the Committee of Five is almost non-existent, and they can <laughs> they just spout about what they're doing all the time. Like It's as if in Three Days of the Condor, Robert Redford kept going up to people and being like, hey, I work for the CIA. Someone tried to kill me. Can you help me? Thank you. Appreciate it. Calls up the CIA. Hey. Did you were you the guys who tried to kill me? Because here's where I am. Let me give you the address, and you can show up and explain it to me. That's what this movie looks like. Again, it's like a fucking role playing game where an NPC shows up and he's like, "Hey, players, I need you to do this," and then the players are like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and talk shit and say something obviously wrong, like Robert De Niro being like, "Oh, I clearly suspect you guys are bad," and he's like, "Ha ha ha, whatever." That's what it's like. It's like we got to move this movie along. My character normally would be suspicious of your behavior, but I don't have time for this. We need to. We need the plot to happen. Yeah. This movie's got to fit into its tight two-hour and fourteen-minute <laughs> running time. So the so they set it up. Dylan Beck's going to give this. He says, "I'll give your speech. I'll do it at this veterans reunion." And Dylan and McGuire says, "Yeah, yeah, you can meet the committee of the five privately there." <laughs> okay. And they go to Tom Vos's office where he's got some pictures on the wall that are covered with little napkins or drapes or something. They all find that very suspicious. At no point do they get up and go over and lift those curtains to see what the pictures are. Why would they? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Vos- it's, it's fan art of fucking Shrek and Sonic having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. It's all it's all pictures of a uh, Doctor Phil as an M and M. Marrying Shrek <laughs> on the set of Supernatural. This yeah. is horrific. So, we have to stop this. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Vose shows up with his wife. She is starstruck by the general. Uh, and Tom says, hey, why don't we have the reunion be broadcast over the radio so everyone can hear your speech, Mr. General Dillenbeck? Speak from the heart. Speak about Bill Meekins. And Bert explains their plan in voiceover as if we didn't already know what it was. He's like, so we're going to set it up so he's going to talk at the reunion. And when the committee of five show up, we're going to reveal who they are. And it's like, no shit, dude. Like, I've been watching your movie. Like, And then the police show up and they're like, we're going to help you too. The same yeah, two police officers who have been chasing. This everyone's is a point on. in the movie where I, like, look, I'll be frank. I've been struggling with, like— Hey, Frank. Nice to meet you. you. I knew you as Dan, but— Yeah, you know, uh— but it you're just, Frank just, now. That's I'm okay. I'm Frank for the purposes of the next few, few minutes. Um, no, I've been dealing with. Oh, that's why your that's why your soul album is called Temporarily Frank. Mm-hmm. Temporarily Frank. I've I've had a Jim Woodring's Temporarily a toothache Frank lately. I've had some <laughs> Temporarily Frank Woodring. That must be amazing to see uh, the world through his eyes for a couple hours. Yeah. Wow. Uh, anyway, let me be honest instead and say well, Jim Woodring, right? Anyway, that's what I said. yeah. That uh, yeah, yeah I, I misheard. I've I've had some dental work recently. I've been having some like lingering pain. This was the point in the movie that I sort of got up to try and deal with <laughs> that 
pain issue and was afraid that I'd missed something, but I hadn't really. And it, the it's reason just too I th- bad that you were seeing it in a theater and you couldn't pause it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was still in the room. I'm just saying I was paying like a little less attention, but oh, okay, just see. marginally less. But the thing was also the moral of the story is I hadn't missed anything. The movie just stops making sense for whatever <laughs> degree it was in the in the past at this point where it's yeah, like. Yeah, everyone's wearing giant ass suits and everyone's shit. Everyone's wearing giant ass suits. <laughs> I was going to say from Dan, a movie stop making sense is the highest They're compliment. Dancing with lamps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this must be the place. If, you want, no. if he wanted to say goodbye, he'd be saying bad bye. <laughs> But it's suddenly, I mean, suddenly the movie's like, okay, <laughs> hey, wait, let me get my point out, please, please. Suddenly the movie's like, okay, the bad guys are like, yeah, let's get the good guys into our room at the same time we're doing our, like, kind of seat of our pants scheme that may or may not work. Like, it's all cool that that's happening now, and the police are... Uh, immediately back on the side of the good guys and be like, yeah, we're also going to help in this sting that you're planning. Like, like, you know, obviously, like I said, I like this movie more than the rest of you, but like, this is the part where I'm like, it's just really hand waving so much away for the purposes of getting everyone in place for the climax. And uh, yeah, we're at the well, gala I, I and everybody that, shows up, right? Like every yeah. character that's yeah, ever been alive this- is there. Yes, everyone who's ever existed. Which there's is, like a, yeah, there's like the ghost of Ed Beagley Jr., Taylor Swift. They're all in, they're in the Raptors. <laughs> all the ghosts are there. Yep. Uh, I Ed think Beagle a Boys better Jr. version. A better version of this would have been like, okay, we are really dan- we're on a tightrope right here. Who's using who, and who's going to come out? From this is a dangerous situation for both sides. Yes. Who's gonna whose risk is going to pay off? But in, there's no there's no urgency or stakes, so it doesn't matter. And we spend so much time at the reunion gala just watching them dance and listening to music. Uh, so, the, and the spies are just backstage, just hanging around. And at the gala, Dylan Beck asks Canterbury and Norcross, whose side are you on? And they go, well, you're on, we're on your side, which is the most suspicious thing a spy can tell you. Like, that there's no, that, well, of course I'm on your side. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, and the spies are very nervous about everything. There's lots of jazz dancing. The veterans sing a song about peanuts with Bert. <laughs> they love this peanut song. We've heard them sing it a few times. Is this when they take the hallucinogenic eye drops and Anna Taylor Joy talks about uh, like no, that's a, Cthulhu that's, shit visitors from beyond the stars? Okay. That's shortly. So uh, Bert's in-laws show up. They're like, we're proud of you. We're going to help you get your medical license back. This is so great. Uh, everyone's kind of milling around for a while. Uh, Tom's wife doesn't like that Valerie and Harold are recording things in it with a film camera. And Bert is appalled when Beatrice is just like a social climber. And and he's like, you know what? I don't want to move back in anymore. He goes, I've, I've waited too long for the wrong thing. And Beatrice goes, I think terrible things might happen to you. And then goes off to help her mom meet rich people. Yeah. Uh, um, there's um. a, a, Fe- a Fado singer singing in Portuguese for some reason. I don't know why. And then uh, Tom Vos. He takes Dylan Beck to see the committee. Of course, our heroes are all allowed to go with him mm-hmm. because because this secret conspiracy. Sure, Dylan Beck has a plus three to come meet them in yeah. a secret back room. And, and we uh, see the three uh, evil businessmen being like, hello, we're evil businessmen. Well, one is, one Would is you like to by, join us being evil? One is played by great character <laughs> yeah, actor Leland Orser. Another yeah, is played by noted shithead Chris Noth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, that's right. I didn't even recognize Chris Noth. Yeah, yeah, because so you assumed uh, that he, like his character, had an accident on a uh, Peloton. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I thought he just vaporized in that moment. Yeah, uh, that when when his character died on the show, he disappeared from reality. 
uh, like a double dragon bad guy that you've just beaten up, and he just goes boop, 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 and blinks out and becomes food. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, it's a chemical magnate, a communications magnate, and a te- telecommunications magnate, and a newspaper magnate. And they keep calling the general Gill, even though he says, call me the general. And they're like, Meekins, huh? I don't know <laughs> who like, that is. My friend sir, who died. Oh, yeah, one, General Meekins. Sir, yeah, there's only yeah, one general great. that I respect, and he hangs out with Shaq a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he sells me my he's insurance. CGI, he's very short. Uh, so, and they talk about how they've had business, good business in Germany under strong leadership in Germany. Good business. And it's this weird thing where the movie is kind of operating under the understanding that nobody in America knows who Hitler is, which is bonkers. It's bo- that he's kind of like a secret guy that that is that is operating under un, even though at this point He's already the chancellor of Germany. Like it's 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 you know it's it's very weird how they're anyway. So they're like Germany, wink wink, nudge nudge, say no more, say no more. When it's also the fact that like many American businesses were still doing business with Germany at this point, the movie studios were still doing business with Germany. So like the idea that they must be evil, they're doing business with Germany. Like that was a generally it, lots of people. Do, anyway, and to cement so, and to cement our hero, like our hero's part in this, they are hiding in the back. Uh, recording it all on a video camera, which I don't... Well, a film camera. A film camera, which I don't quite... <laughs> yeah, they're recording wow, on their iPhone. Uh, but, yeah, the, ha- but Harold but, is just holding up his phone, but he's holding it sideways, so it's like, don't do that, no. But he's recording it, but but in a way, like, I made the... Uh, you know, I, I spoke wrong, but the way it's being recorded, it's just a... It's just film of these of these men standing around. They don't get... It's not like they're getting the audio... Like there's no, no, they're not actually capturing any damning evidence other than people standing in a circle. Well, I guess they can prove that these three guys met with General Dillenbeck, but other than, that's not much. That's pretty weak, weak tea, yeah. weak, weak sauce evidence. Yeah. And uh, as if we, so in case we didn't get it, Harold mimes that symbol that we saw on the medicine jars earlier to Bert as if we're morons <laughs> and, he, and like, and uh, the magnates are like, hey, the general, would you like some expensive real estate? Wouldn't that be nice? And it's it's so happy. It's like a bunch of children. And his, are trying and to his reactions somebody. are always negative. He is giving them yes. no ground. He is like, I don't like you. You guys are idiots. Call me yeah, the and general. They're like, mm, this plan's going off perfect. <laughs> it's like, and that they're like, they're like, how about this? And he's just like, you're he a bunch of us. evil people. I don't like you. So there's, this is going there's great. never yeah. a question that he is going to like do what they want. <laughs> Yes. Uh, so that's when they take the German eye drop drugs. And Anya very briefly talks about how it they use it at the Vril Society to talk to advanced alien races. And like that's kind of that's based slightly in historical fact too of people thinking they could do that. But it's it's just very fr- it's very funny that that just suddenly comes up out of nowhere. And Libby, who up to this point has all been about been all about keeping up appearances, is now like, oh yeah, by the way, by the way, I'm a, I'm a I'm like a Nazi uh, supernaturalist, a Nazi occultist. Uh-huh. Also, should I mention that we, I use drugs? So. Uh, and Tom and Libby, they tell the general, don't go off script. I'm going to give you some more money and a walrus skin bag. I, uh, what a threat too! like this weird hidden threat based on, was it a bag or a book? It looked like maybe it's a folder. It's like an attache case, you know? And, uh, he goes, he goes, he goes, listen, if you don't give that speech, your reputation might get destroyed. People might kill you. And at the, as, as if we're – and it's like – at this point, I was like, it's been so obvious Tom was a bad guy. Are we supposed to know it yet or no? Is this – are we as the audience supposed to think this is a sincere warning or is this when we're supposed to be like, oh, so Tom, the evil guy, is also in on the evil <laughs> plot? Hmm. 
Anyway, they say, don't make this mistake like Bill Meekins. He goes out, but he makes his speech. Uh, so Bert goes out and introduces the general. And then Dillebeck comes out and he gives his speech all about how uh, Meekins was great and he was killed because there's a conspiracy and blah, blah. Somehow, even though Although we didn't see this in any previous shots, unless I forgot it, there is a group of members of the German-American Bund, which was an American <laughs> group that sympathized with Germany and dressed like Nazis and held a rally later in history at yeah. Madison Square Garden in support of the Nazi government. Like, they're there in full uniform. Somehow they've been hidden in a corner up to this moment, and they're shouting German at him. And it's like, hold on, movie. Like, the movie has been dancing around this up to this point. <laughs> it's like the movie just got tired and was like, whatever, Nazis, Germany, here we go. Yeah. Okay, but Dan, what were you going to well, say? Well, I also think it's funny that De Niro's speech at this point is a weird combination of being like very blunt and being like, "Hey, people want to uh, to bribe me so I can become like this puppet president," uh, but also like talking around everything in a way that like I don't know that all of the speech would make sense to anyone who hadn't been watching the movie up until that point. Like the people in the <laughs> yeah. hall. Yeah. Fair. Anyway, it doesn't. The whole thing is that Meekins was killed because he witnessed like Mussolini's car run over a person or something, right? Yeah, which doesn't seem like <laughs> yeah, I don't that know. He, that, I don't know. He was <laughs> that he was in a car with Mussolini and Mussolini's car hit a kid and kept going and that Mussolini didn't feel any guilt about it and at remorse. And that was apparently the heart like it's not even that his plane flew over an island where they were making a fake alien that was gonna end World War Three. So of course Meekins had to be taken out. Yeah. Like it's that it's it's pretty weak again pretty weak sauce again this is the, the fascists by this point i think they'd already been slaughtering people in ethiopia you know the italian army and so it's like it's one of these things where it's like this seems like not i, I thought it was going to be like oh he, that that he saw the plans that hitler was going to invade poland or something like that you know or he saw the plans for the holocaust or a nuclear weapon but instead it's just that like mussolini who it, that hit someone with his car, yeah. which is pretty bad. It's pretty bad yeah. to hit a kid no, with no, his car. Yeah. But it's not, no, it's terrible. It's not the worst thing Mussolini did. But I wouldn't you know? be, I would not imagine that an American military man saying, oh, I saw Mussolini, a fascist dictator, hit a child with a car and then just go on. Like, I don't, this is, this is not the explosive piece of information that's gonna, I don't know what it is expected that this will do. <laughs> no, that, that there are all these people who are like, you know what? Maybe our country does need strong leadership like Italy and Germany. Maybe it's time to round up those undesirables and get them out. And Meekins is going to be like, uh, he committed a hit and run that they would be like, well, I am appalled. Forget what I said. <laughs> Forget, Forget my what fascist I said. leanings. Mm -hmm. now, I, now I realize that that the end of freedom of speech and the rounding up of dissidents and minorities to be slaughtered is a bad thing because a man who was involved in a hit and run accident certainly, certainly I can't trust anything he would do, you know. Uh, so anyway, again, this is a country where Ted Kennedy essentially killed a woman with a car and went on to be a senator for like 30 more years. But anyway, yeah. so, and that was later. Anyway, uh, but uh, the generals like the rich are trying to control the country and uh, Timothy Oliphant- Thank God they stopped that to. from happening. <laughs> yep, this movie. This it. movie was the the, the stopgap. The yeah. And uh, Timothy Oliphant, he's up in the rafters, and he tries to shoot Dylan Beck. And Dylan Beck very bravely just keeps giving his he, speech as bullets are flying around. Yeah, him. he is. Uh, <laughs> he's going to shout those. Bullets he's got that down. regular Robert De Niro in an interview on a late night show energy <laughs> of not <laughs> being faced. He's just like, stop that, stop it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like he's talking to a dog that is that is that is like not hasn't started peeing on the rug yet, but it looks like it's about to. Uh, 
and Val and Hal- Harold go up and fight him. Bert accidentally gets shot in the side, I think, or the leg. Uh, another side thing. And the thug yells about, the thug is like, Tom Vose is a great man. Six Semper Taramis, Tom Vose is a great man. It's like, if you're going to hire a conspiratorial sniper, don't have him shout your name in the middle of his attack. <laughs> I do kind of like. That's just, that's just conspiracy 101. And the skywriting too, that was probably a bad idea. I did kind of like the, the bit where he was like, he was like up in the rafters and they're like fighting with him and knock the gun loose. And then they toss him off the, <laughs> uh, uh, the pl- like the platform he's on. And he just lands on the ground next to the gun. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just threw him to his gun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and the 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 bunt members start shouting. So the veterans start singing "My Country Tis of Thee" at them. Hey, Dan, wasn't it just like the scene in Casablanca yeah. where the horse whistle song and and the, and uh, and the Marseille Marseille? Yes, uh, it was like that. But- if it was directed by what's his face from City of Lost Children and sort of sped up <laughs> at twice speed. <laughs> yeah, it's it just does, and it's also one of the things where, and this is again like the the German American Bund members were not saying we should be Germany. They were saying Germany and America should be should be in alliance together. Like they consider themselves Americans as much as Germans. So like there's a. It's letting those people. It's letting America off the hook. I feel like for um, for the movie to just be like they're Germans, they're German spies. Whereas there's a big st- there's a big picture of George Washington behind on the stage of the yeah. union, and the reason for that is because at the German Bund rally there was a huge picture of George Washington on the stage. Like they anyway, no, it's, I saw, it's all like I definitely saw a critique of that when I was reading reviews where they're like, I, there's no need as long as you're making up history. There's no need to be like there were like literal Nazis here. Like there was a yeah, American fascist movement that could have just been what this was about, but well, it's well, it's because you know what this is a movie that's trying to. I think it's it has a message in it about freedom and kindness or whatever, but it's a really black and white movie on a not black and white topic. That everyone in the movie, like you were saying earlier, everyone who's nice and who we like is a good guy, and everyone who's mean is a bad guy. And there's no there's no getting into the fact that like there were a lot of American Americans who felt like patriots who weren't just, I want to take over the country, but were like, yeah, I want someone like Hitler in charge. That uh, that American history is much messier than that. And I feel like it's the kind of thing you can get away with in a movie in the 40s where you're trying to rally people against fascism to be like, hey, hey, if you're an American, you don't like fascism. But it's a, if you're making a movie now about that time, why why do it so cut and dry, especially if the whole point of your movie is kind of sloppy chaos? Like, well, also, the, especially let, if the whole point of your movie is the fact that they're is again a rising American fascist movement. And yeah. so, like, that's obviously why he felt like he needed to make this movie at this time. So why cut the strength of it? Yes, exactly. Why make it less relevant in that way? Um, anyway, at this point, Bert is tripping pretty hard from those eye drops. Uh, and uh, Tom is like, yes, I was behind it. And, and the spies are like, and Tom's been messing with Valerie's medication to control her recklessness. And Tom's like, Look, I'm a racist, and they—that's when there's a—and that's when uh, uh, Bert <laughs> is like, Bale, yeah, Bert, and it's like, and Burton voiceover is like, you know, whose pictures he had in his office, pictures of Adolf Hitler and Goebbels, and he has this line which bugged me so much. He goes, "Most people didn't even know who that was yet," which is bonkers. The idea that like Tom was an early adopter of Hitler in 1933, and that most Americans, Hitler was still like an underground figure that they weren't familiar with. When again, he was the Chancellor of Germany. He'd been in the news. For years at that point, you know, now, he was the author of a best-selling that, book. Yes. At, the, at this point in the movie, <laughs> we are into uh, known credit. Christian Bale, of course, tri- tripping balls off those uh, eye drops, uh, goes on an extended voiceover explaining 
everything about the movie that we've already seen, including like my favorite part. And some things that we didn't see. My favorite part in it was like, you know, honestly, because I understand why this was in there because I was like, why are the bad guys wanting these people to come to their rally? Like that seems weird since they were just framing them moments before. Like there's a part where yeah. like they show Rami Malek and be like, and he wanted us, Tom wanted us there because we were his route to Robert De Niro, who he wanted. And then, like, Robert De Niro literally, like, says the same thing over again. He's like, you wanted me here. <laughs> like, <I'm just> like, <laughs> <laughs> Why did you double up on that movie? I didn't understand it. But the, you saying it twice doesn't make it make any more sense. It still doesn't no. track. And, and, and Bert's VO is both telling us things that we I've already heard or about to hear and then telling us things that I don't know how Bert knew <laughs> because Bert's like, turns out Tom had been paying people to put positive articles about the Nazis in newspapers and he even cut the shrubs in his garden to look like swastikas. <laughs> you got to really be crazy to do that. And it's like, when did this happen? Where are you getting this from? I assume like, that after the fact it came out and this is like him but talking such a, from the future. A, yeah, they were, taking a, they were taking a helicopter ride later and saw it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. It's just such a. It's so funny to me for him to be like, and here's some supporting evidence that the movie didn't have time to. Introduce <laughs> if you weren't in an sure whether manner. Tom was a Nazi or not, how about this swastika shrubs? <laughs> <laughs> Let me point you to Appendix C, in which we look at the swastika shrubs. So, uh, and also he goes, you could only see it was a swastika from above, but the shrub we see is pretty clearly a swastika. Yeah, like, you and don't you can have see to be it from the upstairs above. windows. <laughs> so yeah. they clearly had this footage of the swastika shrub, and I feel like that's even a shrub that they walk past earlier in the movie. They made no real effort to hide Tom being a creepo. Why yeah. not reveal no. that when they left the house the first time <laughs> so that at least you're like, you know that the stakes are high. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and, at least know that, like, oh, the bad guys are fucking, like, clearly Nazis. Well, especially when you know it's so clear so early. Yes. I, I mean, I guess that they they thought it wasn't going to be clear that early. But it's like one of the things I love in the movie The 39 Steps is when Robert Donat, he goes to the guy who's supposed to be his contact. That's goes, the 39 oh, Steps I, to the Dreamlands, right? Uh, <laughs> what? Not exactly. But – that, uh, he goes He goes to the guy, he goes, hey, I need your help. The guy that I'm supposed to look out for, he's evil. He's missing a joint on his little finger. And the guy goes, oh, like this? And he shows his hand. And he's like, yeah, I'm the bad guy. I love that that movie does not waste any time with you. It doesn't, it doesn't then have you running around and reveal it at the end. It's like, yeah, it, the movie the isn't guy. like, why is this character always wearing gloves? <laughs> and with gloves with one little floppy finger. But uh, so... But I think it would have if they had walked by it and you saw that it was a swastika shrub, but they missed that somehow. Like characters it would already both, seem like like dummies. It was so yeah. both. Not? Yeah. yeah, it would fit their characters, and it would make them. It would make the audience be like, "Fuck, they're actually in super real danger now." Well, and the all yes, and the other thing is that, and this is something again that I think maybe I only picked up as a Jewish person. Uh, Christian Bale's character is supposed to be half Jewish. He talks about it a lot. As soon as he finds out Nazis are involved. He doesn't seem to feel any more different than if they had been just rich bad guys when it's like, Christian Bale, these people are a genuine threat to you specifically and your family. Like, I don't know a Jewish person in the 1930s who didn't have an opinion on Nazis that was different because they were than a regular Gentiles in prison yeah. just because they were a real and a clear and present threat to them. So the idea that he's like, and get this, they was Nazis <laughs> and pretty bad. It's like, yeah, more than pretty bad, dude. Like anyway, it just, it was, it felt like a, it felt like a modern day, uh, modern day opinion 
that it's the 30s. Like this is this is live history, you know, for them. So anyway, he doesn't know that World War II is going to end the right way, you know, pretty that he for all he knows Hitler is going to run Germany for a thousand years like he's been promising using that real energy that Anya Taylor-Joy is so hopped up about. But anyway, uh, flash forward to – it's just the same – again, the general lack of the characters giving a shit about what happens in their own movie. Yeah. <laughs> but we flash forward briefly to the general testifying before Congress about all this. Then we go back to Tom and his wife laughing. And then this was a moment that I found so baffling as to why it happens now. Valerie shoots them both in the face <laughs> with one bullet. They're not killed, and they go, ow, that really hurt. Why'd you do that? And then an instant later, it turns out that was a fantasy she was having. She didn't really do it. This... And she goes, I was just thinking about shooting you in the face. And it's like, why now? That could be a funny joke at another point I... in the movie, but why now when the movie has to wrap it the, the fuck I up? I loved that this happened. I love that this happened because okay. at that point, well, at that point in the movie, look, it was the movie's own fault that it had engaged in this long monologue. It could have just fixed yes. having this long monologue. But I did feel like that was an acknowledgement by the movie that, like, look, we realize that Christian Bale has, like, been explaining the plot of the movie to you for the past <laughs> 10 minutes. Here we're going to have this brief, weird joke where <laughs> there's a fantasy sequence where where she shoots these two bad guys. Uh, Margot Robbie shoots the bad guys, and everyone yells at her, being like, we had them! <laughs> like, you ruined it! Yeah, you're they're, gonna they're be in like, trouble now! And you're... Well, like, and then, like, it's revealed also, immediately like, as a have, fantasy. <laughs> and it's, a, it's such a weird fantasy where she shoots them. It happens so fast that I had to rewind to make sure I had understood what had happened. It's like <laughs> it, it's like Han, it, it, a Han shooting Greedo level of, like... <laughs> Like it comes out of nowhere in a way. Actually, though I guess they set that up. Han has his gun under the table and everything. But uh, the uh, it's more like Greedo shooting first, where it's like it comes out of nowhere and you're not quite sure what happened. And the two of them are like, "Ow, why did you do that?" And the spies are like, "We had all the evidence. Now we have nothing," which doesn't make sense. Someone doesn't stop being a criminal because they got shot in the face. Like yeah. they're gonna go to the trial and the judge is gonna be like, "Well, you did kill someone and try to overthrow the government, but." In in lieu of the fact, in in light of the facts that you got shot in the face afterwards, you're free to go. You've you, you know we we can't find you guilty. I mean, it's it just does such a cast, weird fantasy. Cast a little uh, doubt on the proceedings, whether it was a uh, you know everything was done on the up okay. and up. Okay, so we let's, guess, do, let's, I mean, do mock, let's do a Jack Ruby shooting doesn't change that he's not the president. <laughs> that what we're gonna do a what mock trial. Well, anyway. Dan is defending. Okay, let's do it. Okay, Dan, you're the defendant. I'm the I'm the prosecutor. Stuart, you're the judge. Uh -huh. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, now I have here two people who, yes, got shot in the face with one bullet. It's amazing that it happened that way. But still, let us not forget the mountains of evidence that they killed Ow. Taylor Swift. Ow! I hurt so much because I got shot in the face. Ow! <laughs> Well, I mean, you're... oh, so you're the. I thought you were going to be the lawyer for the defense. Oh, you're I... the actual defendant. <laughs> you said I was the defendant. I thought you're right. I shouldn't have said defendant. I should have said defense. <laughs> Ow, okay. my face. <laughs> Stewart, declare a mistrial. They don't have a defense lawyer. They have to have. A, they have to have representation. Well, I do declare a mistrial on the proceedings. <laughs> we'll see, see. Ah, uh, <laughs> god dang it. Anyway. Jury, you're free to go. Okay, I'm one so, of those uh, judges that wears a weird wig for some reason. <laughs> oh, oh, so they're being tried in British courts yeah. because Paul Canterbury arrested them. Okay. Yes, that's if I why. That, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, it's so exciting to be here in old Britannia. You're the mother country. <laughs> trying this trial. I say my face hurts something terrible. <laughs> now, now let me remi let me let me remind the jury that the defendants are not actually British. They seem to be affecting a British accent to sway the jury into finding in their favor. Well, I never, <laughs> I've never heard such ridiculousness in my life.
Now, okay, I didn't think we'd have to do this, but I'm going to submit to the jury exhibit negative A that the defendants are the Vos couple from New Jersey, not old Jersey, in which case perhaps they would have that English accent. Forget about it. Ah. Okay, now they're affecting a New Jersey accent. I'm not quite sure why. There there are people in New Jersey who don't sound quite like that, but yes, it's it's not helping nor hindering their case. It's just a weird thing for them to do in this set of circumstances. The great thing about this trial scene that we're playing out is that it has the same level of urgency as the movie we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're showing instead of telling. Okay, anyway, instead of shooting them, Valerie declares her love of Harold and she kisses him. And now Bert launches into another lengthy voiceover about how you need love in your life. And he goes through thinking about all the people he loves and he just moralizes at length about being kind and loving people, which again is rich coming from... <sighs> David O. Russell, a man who, by most public accounts, is a very mean man and is not kind to people. Um, and we find out that his back brace stopped the bullet. That's why he isn't dead now. And they did succeed yeah, in stopping the Yeah, that's what I plot. fucking guessed, dude. Like, Yeah, nobody goes to jail. The general's reputation does get smeared, but that's just kind of like a hanging loose thread. And for some reason, he's like, of course, Valerie and Harold had to flee the United States that night. I don't understand why they had to do that. Because uh, of the but, Gestapo, uh, of course. Like what, the movie what, said. That doesn't make any sense. No, well, they and they're good. They well, they want to go to well, they they want to go to Amsterdam and. Uh, they go, don't go to Amsterdam or the Gestapo will knock down your door. And they're like, what's a Gestapo? And he's like, you'll find out. Again, they would have, this stuff was in the newspapers. Yeah. Like they would have known about this stuff. Germany was not like a secret, you know? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, they get sent so to an undisclosed location. Yeah. And uh, and Bert just decides he's going to stay. He's going to stay here and fight. Uh, he kind of doesn't – I mean the reason he's staying is clearly because he wants to have sex with Irma. But he doesn't say that. He's just like, I got to stay here and look out for the people I love. Let's be kind, everybody. Kindness. I, kindness. Kindness. That's what I'm talking – kindness. Let's just be kind. Kindness. And the movie just kind of peters out. And then, so, and then during the credits, we see Robert De Niro giving the same speech that the one – Real character in this movie made. That the real general he's based on <laughs> yes. gave to Congress. Or... <laughs> to bolster and, the and idea the real, that this I actually happened. I hate this shit. <laughs> and the real story behind it is that this general was like, a bunch of rich people came to me and they gave me money, so I'd become a dictator. And nobody was ever arrested, and people to this day debate on how serious that plot was or how, how far, I, mean, I guess maybe it was serious or how far along it went. So, but this movie is like, I don't know. Let's go into final judgments, I guess. I guess I've made it pretty clear how I feel about the movie, but Dan, should we do final judgments? Yeah, let's do final judgments. Uh, Real quick, before we do final judgments, what? a little round of applause from our listeners. Oh, yeah, Elliot, yeah. Making Elliot. it through this fucking thing. Elliot. You I did it, dude. Oh, that thank shit you. was stuffed this full of garbage, <laughs> and you said it all. It's a very convoluted oh, movie. Thank you. Appreciate it. A lot of plot, a lot of incident. You got through it. With a cold. With yes. a cold. Yeah, line. yeah, that's what I'm saying. You that's got through the whole thing with a cold. I had, you know, I was ready to tag in at any point. Didn't need to. I'm still hanging out by the ropes. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that, Stuart. I appreciate it. And for the listeners who missed some of the details because they were orgasming because of my sexy voice, just listen to it again. It's a podcast. Yeah. That's fine. If you listen to it a bunch of times, eventually you'll become less sensitive to it and you'll be yeah, able to listen to it want. without we'll without more. without just true, just true. Yeah, but then uh, the problem is you'll get to a place no. where you're like you're so desensitized that you just can't <laughs> you can't reach a climax sure. without it. Uh yeah, and then you you need you need even rougher stuff, which is me being strangled <laughs> while talking to get my voice to be even rougher feel and raspier. awkward. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go on to the, the final judgments. Uh, look, I mean, 
I knew that it was somewhat of a mess. I like talking to you guys has only reinforced like the silliness of a lot of it. But uh, I think that the like this movie has a lot of like what I like in a movie, and so even a bad version of it I enjoy because I I like this kind of sprawling uh, serial comic kind of like goofy capery, but also. Mm-hmm. not thing i mean like this is not the best example of it obviously but i like it enough as a thing that i enjoyed it and i like all the performers and also i have a certain font fondness for ramshackle broken things much much as you might think the cutest dog at the pound is the one that's all like <laughs> slobbery and scruffy you know i often uh-huh. dan goes <sighs> to the pound and he's like get show me your fucked up dog yeah, show exactly. me your real give me show me your dog real screwed up is the fucked up pound dog of movies, and I enjoy it for that. I also want to ask you a question before. I mean, like, you can give your own assessments, obviously, too, but I want to ask you this question. How much more would you have liked this movie if it did not claim at all to be based on true events, if it was just presented as historical fiction? Because I think that that might have helped it. I think, think, to be honest, I I think it would have helped it a little bit, but at the same time, it still takes place in a world that existed. So... There's the thing. I think the bigger problems I had with it were less the things that it did to change history and more the things that it ignored about the world at that time. Mm. Like it's a movie where a white man and a black man are best friends in 1933, and it just kind of keeps hinting at racism without really showing us how overwhelming that racism was in for most people. You know, not that they all felt it, but that everyone's life was affected by it, and it kind of like it kind of like dances around it. You know, people are kind of, people are more miffed at interracial relationships than they are offended or disgusted by it. And at the time that was a very real, I mean, it was illegal in much of the country for that. So like, it's a movie that feels like it is, I think if it was more, if it was more artificial, I could buy that fake history, that fake past worlds a little more. The same way that like, The Great is a show I enjoy and it has almost no connection with real history, but it exists in a kind of fantasy world of, 18th century Russia, you know, so yeah. it's not, it's not laying claim to, uh, yeah, it's to any, it's, to, uh, it, to any sort of reality. It seems like a lot of movies have, I have two speeds. They can either be like, they can treat racism, uh, in the, like, uh, like black people can only exist through trauma stories or it's, it's like ignored entirely and just imagined yes. it doesn't happen. And I feel like neither one does, uh, does a good service. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something that a lot of movies struggle. I feel like I've seen more movies that have failed with that challenge than have succeeded. But like, they're like, but I think you're right, Dan, that if it was just, if it didn't pretend to be historical truth at all, mm-hmm. then it might have, I think I might have enjoyed it slightly more, but I would still call it a bad, bad movie because yeah. it's just like, it tries to be funny and it's not funny. It tries to be beautiful and it's not beautiful. It tries to be exciting and it's not exciting. And so it's it's so it, it entered that kind of uncanny valley place for me with a movie where it's like this movie is telling me that this is a delightful madcap romantic romp, but it's not. And it's only highlighting for me how how much it's not, you know. So maybe if the movie was trying to it, it feels a little bit like a the movie version of you're sitting next to a drunk guy at, at the bar who told you a joke and you don't think that's funny and he just keeps shoving you and going, how funny, right? Isn't it funny? It's funny, right? And it, the more he does that, the less funny it gets. So 
Anyway, it just didn't work for me. But Dan, if it worked for you, more power to you. Any any joy you can find in this veil of tears that we live in, go for it. Sure. I don't, I'm not judging you, nor am I judging any fans that like this. Sure, I am you. judging. I'm going to say. I'm going to say this is a, this is going to be a bad bad movie for old stew balls here. Uh, it. I feel <laughs> you seem like to be the most actively frustrated by it. Yeah, by I mean, it's face. there's there's a movie where. Uh, it is so overly scripted at times. There's so many voiceovers. There's this, like, it feels like the movie is treating me like a baby, even to the point that, like, it's it, it has to force this, like, love of these characters on me, which is not earned. They don't do anything that would make me endeared to them or them endeared to me. And... Uh, yeah, and, like, the movie is constantly telling rather than showing, and then when it's showing, it is doing too much like it just it's too much doesn't know what it's doing it's too sappy doesn't earn anything uh and it's not funny or exciting mm. Mm. yep that's that's me that's a bad bad that's a definition of a bad bad <laughs> <laughs> i'm jordan cruciola the host of feeling scene where we talk about the movie characters that make us feel seen and i'm the show's producer marissa Jordan, you've interviewed so many directors, actors, writers, film critics, and I like to play this little game where I take a sip of coffee every time someone says, that's such a great question. That's such a fabulous question. Or they tell you how smart you are. I think that you are rather brilliant. And of course, the big one is when, when they, they cry, cry unexpectedly. unexpectedly. Yes, yes. Jordan, I don't want to cry on your podcast. I wasn't expecting to <laughs> cry. I mean, it makes me kind of want to cry. <sighs> Feeling Seen comes out every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Listen already. What are you waiting for? Jordan, that's such a great question. <laughs> Hal Lublin here with breaking news on a revolutionary form of entertainment, professional wrestling. For more, we go to our correspondent, Danielle Radford. Professional wrestling is the craze that's sweeping the nation, featuring fisticuffs and colorful costumes. But who can help us make sense of this world of body slams? Lindsay Kelk has the answer. Sources tell us of an amazing podcast called Tights and Fights, filled with discussions of the absurdity of professional wrestling, plus all the sincerity and hilarity that you could shake a stick at. Listen to the Tights and Fights podcast every week. Find it on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. And your old-timey radio. Hey, I want to tell you guys something. The ones listening, yeah, the drop ones it in on this me. room, and that's uh, and and Elliot. He's not in this room, but he's in this room in the sense that he's on my Zoom. I am screen. listening. Uh, true, true, true. Uh, we have sponsors. Uh, for the most part, the Flop House is uh, made possible by listeners like you who become members over at maximumfund.org. But we have uh, a few other <clears throat> brief words from our sponsors. Uh, number one is from Lumi Labs. You've probably heard about microdosing, probably from me. I've been talking about it on this podcast. And like You're like, where did I hear about microdosing? It was from me. It was from me. If not, just know that all sorts of people are microdosing daily to feel healthier and perform better. And our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies, which deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. If you want to, as uh, Stu uses them, uh, to chill out at the end of the day, get a little better sleep, Yep, it'll it'll help you with that. Uh, sometimes it's nice if you just want to sit down with a, a TV show or uh, I like to draw something. Anyway, uh, I, I, I support this uh, product and or service, in this case, a product. Microdose is available nationwide. 
To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code FLOP, that's F-L-O-P, to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show description, but again, that's microdose.com, code FLOP. Elliot, I think you have a Jumbotron to read. I do. I have a Jumbotron to read. Dan very cleverly gave it to me when I was losing my voice, but let's see if I can still do it. This is now a sexy Jumbotron, as we've established. Okay, this message is for Graham, and the message is from Tyler, and it says, Dear Graham, congratulations on being born. It was so cool to finally get to meet you, even if you were pretty low energy about the whole thing. I can't wait to see what kind of hilarious, sarcastic kid you'll grow up to be, considering who your mom is. I think it's just a matter of time. Love, your Uncle Tyler. What a sweet Jumbotron. I really love that. Someday, uh, Graham will grow up and listen to that. Hopefully not for a while because this was a pretty, I apologize, a pretty not not safe for kids Mm. podcast with all my swearing and my incredibly sexy voice. But Graham, (laughs) when you you listen to this 18 years from now or so, happy being born day. Happy being born day, indeed. Uh, Do either of you have any other things to mention before we move on? Uh, I'd like to... I would like to, as always, I'm going to up. Alex, just delete Elliot's entire audio file. No audio from Elliot this whole episode. Great. So I am going to recommend, I'm going to recommend going to the bars I own. A very short episode. I mean, our audio track is going to stay the same. That's fair, fair. Just be long periods of silence. It'll be the jazz of Flophouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a vibe. Uh, so, yeah, go to my bars, Hinterlands Bar, Minis Bar. I might be there. I might not. If I'm not there when you go by, I am sorry. I can't always be there. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, it's always nice to see folks. You've got miniatures to paint. I got miniatures to paint. I got to go out to fancy dinners with Dan like we did this week <laughs> where we ate sushi. What? Mm-hmm. It was so nice. What a date. <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple of dudes and some raw fish. What was your What was your favorite bite, Dan? Uh, uh, I like the I like the fishy pieces. Oh, remember. those are good pieces. Something fishy and oily for me, thanks. Uh huh. I like that. Like that cheek. Give me that. Yeah, the, that, tuna, the fatty tuna the fatty cheek. Fatty cheek. Uh, I like the fatty cheek, as longtime listeners know. Hey, Elliot, what do you want to say? Whoa, Graham, you'll get that joke when you're older. Uh, so this is a. Uh, I wanted to say. I've been talking a lot on this podcast about um, Maniac of New York, Don't Call It a Comeback, my new series from Aftershock. It was originally scheduled for December 7th. Unfortunately, it has been delayed. I don't know when it's coming out yet, possibly in January, but keep your eyes peeled. I will, of course, announce the release date when I know it, but that book is still going to come out, and I hope you can enjoy it. I'm very excited about it. So that's Maniac of New York, Don't Call It a Comeback. Just kind of be ready for it. Just kind of be ready at any moment to go run out and get it. Just be ready for it. That's what Elliot recommends in life. Uh, letters from listeners like you. Here they come. Walking down the street. Get the funniest letters from. Letters from. All the listeners we meet or don't meet. Hey, hey, it's the flop house. See, what a twist. I sing that one. Okay. Uh, I love it. <laughs> Wait, that was you singing? I thought that was Elliot singing. <laughs> I know. We've trained you well. This is... And I thought it was Mickey Dolan's. From Joan, last name withheld, who writes... Dan describing Moonfall in 4DX got me fondly reminiscing about the time my favorite movie ever, Gremlins, was briefly re-released into 4DX cinemas. 
Joe Dante's zany creature feature classic turned out to be a perfect fit for the gimmick-laden format. I recoiled in solidarity with Gizmo as we were both splashed with water we knew we shouldn't be touching. I held on for dear life <laughs> as, I was, <laughs> as I was violently thrust about by my erratic mechanical chair, just as Mrs. Deagle did in her final moments. And now, and I now have firsthand knowledge of what a gremlin attack really feels like, assuming it feels like getting mildly poked in the back. Of course, the highlight of the evening was the Snow White <laughs> scene when my gyrating seat gave me no choice but to bounce up and down in rhythm with the gremlin's rowdy movie theater antics. It felt like the perfect 40X moment, one where the action on screen was actually bleeding out into the audience in those few brief minutes. We were all of us gremlins. My question for you guys is this. Are there any favorite movies of yours that you'd like to see given the 4DX treatment? And if so, how would you want to see those in-theater effects applied? Elliot, would you ever want to feel like you're rumbling down the tracks of the hijacked Pelham 123? Dan, could the sense of salmon and honey wafting by your nose make you love the country bears even more? Yep. <laughs> Stu? Where's this going? I'm not sure you could ever safely replicate the sensation of getting your ding-dong ripped off but there must be I'm other sure fun ways to enhance the castle freak experience. Maybe just pull out some pubes. That could do it. <laughs> yeah. Your dream to I finally. I call them stubes. <laughs> That's Stu's version of Vore. His, uh, I can never truly know how, what it is to have my ding dong ripped up. Anyway, <laughs> excited to hear all the awesome ideas you flock, flop magineers come up with. See you in the fourth dimension. Joan. So just to pull back the curtain, wow. Dan just sent us the question rather than the entire oh, uh, letter. Um, you don't have to apologize, but it, it's funny because the first thing that came to my head was Gremlins 2. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no question, Gremlins 2 would be great. Uh, but other than that, I don't know, Tango and Cash would be really great. You'd, you'd get water sprayed in your face, money thrown all over you, cocaine. Yeah, <laughs> cocaine sprayed <laughs> out of you. Yeah, sure, why not? Check balance, et cetera. I mean, I think that that captures the truth about it is that there has to be a certain goofiness. Like, the, like Jurassic Park would be really amazing. Is. I could see Jurassic Park being fun with it, but yeah, you're yeah. not going to want to watch like, um, uh, you're not going to want to watch like Kramer versus Kramer in 4DX, you know? I was thinking of something for me like Terminator 2, a movie that like, you know, <sighs> a, 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 a thrill park ride, but one that I have seen so many times that I guess I'm looking at 4DX as a chance for me to feel it anew, you know, uh -huh. in a different way. Yeah, Maybe yeah, have some yeah, hot yeah. water sprayed on me when he's. Yeah, yeah. Sinks into the lava. <laughs> like, I feel like, like, <laughs> I, I might pick a movie that's one of my favorites that I've seen so many times, like Big Trouble in Little China, I feel like is a big, goofy, fun movie. Mm -hmm. That'd be great for that. A goofy this movie. This is going to be an unpo. You what? just did you recently a watch goofy, the Goofy movie? I did actually recently watch. Most <laughs> I, of I the asked because Dan movie. was walking around clearly pitching a tent. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Uh, no, truth though, there are some uncomfortably sexy like background characters in a goofy movie. Like I, it was in that like period where it's just like okay, every supporting character is gonna have like weird like bouncy cartoon bosoms. Yeah. Anyway, uh, do we all answer? Uh, animators just having a good time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. This is gonna be an unpopular answer to this question. I'm gonna say no. 
There are no favorite movies of mine that I'd like to see in 4DX. Mm, it's I, it, What you guys described sounds like it would be super fun. It's like the movie turns into a theme park ride. It's not my preferred way to experience <laughs> movies. Yeah. So I'm going to say, considering the closest I think I've come to it since I've never seen 4DX is going on the Guardians of the Galaxy breakout ride in uh, at Disneyland where – there is a kind of a Guardians of the Galaxy adventure going on in front of you as you are repeatedly lifted into the air and dropped again because it's just the old Tower of Terror yeah, that exactly. they've turned Guardians of the Galaxy. And what's happening in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie is almost incomprehensible. Like, you really can't pay attention to it. And so that's an extreme example. I know it's minimal content and maximum being thrown around, but I like to just sit back and get absorbed into a movie, you know? Actually, like, as much as it would be... I just texted my my buddy Jim Cameron and told him that you aren't into movies being turned into theme park rides, and he said he's driving over to your house to beat your ass. Oh, no. I was at the Tower of Terror in uh, Disney World in Florida this year, and uh, I it's still Tower of Terror there. It has not had the the Guardian skin put on it, and... Um, I it was my least favorite. But you were, you thing. showed up dressed up as Drax, did, which was kind of awkward. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I I was like, oh, I'm too old for the Tower of Terror now because I feel like I'm going to black out when it drops. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, that's me. not good. I still enjoy the I enjoy the being dropped part of the ride because it reminds no, me of when you. I was a baby. I just but I, otherwise I just recently went to Universal Studios with Flophouse friend Jordan Morris. What what? And we went to what we do. Let me give you the full rundown. Jurassic World Dominion ride that was super fun. Got splashed. Went to the Minions <laughs> ride that fucking sucked. Not a fan. No splash. Went to the Water World uh, Water World stunt show that fucking rocked. Went to the that, I've heard that's a great stunt show. Went to the mummy, uh, the mummy ride, and you know that's the thing with Universal. If it's there's no splashing, <laughs> although I now, got splashed Stuart, sand. Wait, the thing about Universal, now, Stuart, is, I know you're saying, I know you, I know you said the mummy, and then we're restarting again. Say the mummy, but I wish the name of the ride was the mummy colon the mummy. I think that'd be amazing. I went on the the mummy the mummy ride. The thing I feel like the rule of thumb there is the older, like least relevant the. The property, the cooler the ride has got to be. Well, like, it's got to fucking to survive whip ass. this long. Yeah. Like, for them to still have a Waterworld stunt show, it must be fantastic. Well, incredible. And speaking of James Cameron, the Avatar ride at Disney, like, Animal Kingdom or whatever the hell it's called, was astounding. Like, a movie that, you know, uh, I am not going to be one of those people arguing it had no footprint because I think that's absurd. And I think it had a different kind of footprint than some movies. Yeah, but don't bet against yeah, three don't bet against like Jim Cameron. I don't think you should bet against Jim Cameron. But like the Avatar ride is astounding. Uh anyway. I think I think Yeah, didn't didn't I mean, Richard Kind yes, swear Richard by it? Yeah. His eyes lit up <laughs> as soon as the Avatar ride was brought up. Uh, I'm actually I'm actually going to Universal Studios soon for my older son's birthday. What was it about the Minions ride that was not fun, Stuart? Since I am almost certainly going to have to go butts. on that well, ride. Well, the the wait is super long because everybody wants to go okay. on it, and then it is one of those rides where a lot of it was sitting in like a movie theater seat, and then you just kind of move up and down and watch a movie. Uh, which oh, was I mean, great. that's perfect for my kids. I like which is that's great for my kids. A hundred percent. If you go, definitely go in the studio tour because they have a section of the uh, the scenery from Nope, the like Jupiter's claim stuff, and it's uh -huh. it's incredible. It was so great. When my kids are gonna love that. They're yeah, super they into love nope. that. Yeah. <laughs> they love Nope. I mean, there's a Fast and Furious thing for them because they love that shit, right? Because they like being yeah. Because my of kids a love anything yeah. that's about family. Yeah, yeah. they love family. Uh, we got one more letter. It's from Kelly. This this <laughs> this shows you. Wait, this shows you how I've indoctrinated my kids. Is we're going to Universal Studios. My younger son is four. He's like, "Are the Universal monsters gonna be there?" And I'm like, 
I know they do stuff around Halloween, but I don't know if these almost 100-year-old properties are still, yeah. like, big in the parks. But that's all he wants to see, the minions and uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon. doesn't want to see the Psycho House. Uh, they don't know what Psycho is. Okay. This, I, was tell, I was telling the story this morning, though, about when I was a kid, we went to the Universal Studios in Florida where they still have a studio tour, but it's obviously fake. And they're like, there's the Psycho House. And it's like, no, it's not. They didn't shoot Psycho in Florida. <laughs> like, this is the whole point is to see the real house. This is a fake Psycho House. Yeah. Kelly, last name withheld, writes, hello, Peaches. Kelly Kapowski, fictional character. Mm -hmm. I wanted to tell you about a real freak I met years ago in a college cell biology class. Now, one of my <laughs> okay. best friends, the first day of class. Look, this better be connected to Topeka, oh. Kansas, right? I don't know why it involves our Sorry. podcast. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Now, one of my best friends, the first day of oh. class, this guy pulled out a lime from his messenger bag peeled it, and started eating it in class. Oh, that's oh, a lime. A lime. I, I misheard you. I misheard you. I thought you said lime, and I'm like, of Coke? No. <laughs> right in the class? No, a lime. Uh, the professor stopped mid-sentence and said, excuse me, is that a lime? It was. We all gasped. <laughs> he ate a whole lime every day. By the end of the year, I think we'd all tried at least a slice of raw, unaccompanied lime. The professor did as well. Those tart little bastards really brought us together in such a beautiful way. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for keeping me company during my graduate degree. You three are very cool. Kelly, name withheld. Okay, so the Clearly. relationship to our <laughs> podcast, is it like a third man hairy lime type thing? <laughs> she thought we all had scurvy and needed oh, encouragement. Yeah, to, oh. is it I did think I had it once, but it didn't turns out I didn't. I think oh, that wow. this probably... <laughs> Getting middle end on that one. I'm guessing this related to the Fruit Brutes episode or whatever it was oh, called, the Fruit Brute. Right, right, right. The Flophouse Fruit Group, yeah. It's um, one of our, our yeah. spinoff podcasts. And we Maybe maybe we talked about whether or not someone had ever eaten a lime. Although I kind of enjoyed the letter most, devoid of any context. Yep. <laughs> um. So now that was about this limes. fucking thing. And uh, of course, having talked about limes, we traditionally now go on to the final segment, which it's, is it's called Dan pulls up letterbox and remembers what he watched. Yeah. What did I see lately? <laughs> what can I possibly recommend? Honestly, I've seen a lot of stuff lately that I was. More mixed on. This is recommendations, by the way. But uh, I did watch and enjoy Rolling Thunder from 1977, a movie I'd never seen before, starring uh, William Devane uh, and a very young... You're so Devane. Tommy Lee Jones. You probably think you starred in Rolling Thunder. You're so Devane. I mainly know William Devane, Devane from what? What are they? Reverse mortgage commercials? Yeah, commercials What's on like, Fox News. Wait, and it goes, you were also in Phenom, Phenom, the ABC sitcom Phenom with Judith Light. He's still he was, trying. He was he's, his voice of, is fucked up and he's still trying, Dan. He was Dan. on 24. I think he was one of the presidents on 24. Oh, he's been in tons of stuff. Yeah. He's been um, forever. Well, no, I'm trying saying where Stuart might think of him. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether Stuart even watched 24. I'm just making guesses. He's making 24 hours, the show? Yeah. Yeah. The show about a man with a no bladder. Um, it's, it's, it's it, Rolling Thunder. The thing about Rolling Thunder is it's a, it's a revenge movie where, you know, someone's family is killed, but it's not the traditional sort of like we're fridging these characters Killing is a much sadder movie. The script was by Paul Schrader. It takes the time. Oh, director of Heartbeeps. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a movie that takes like <laughs> Uncle the main Paul. character is a uh is a 
prisoner of war who's been returned. His family has moved on without him. So there's like this, already the sadness and then he loses his family and it's less of sort of the shallow motivation that a lot of revenge movies have and more that this was the one thread connecting him to sanity <laughs> that has then been severed and he takes revenge. And it's just interesting to see a 1970s action uh, revenge thriller that is mostly about sadness <laughs> and about like the revenge is not a cathartic, you know, like triumph. It is just, you know, him spinning further in uh, away from society and warmth. Uh, so you know, uh, you know, to you, rolling you, thunder. Yeah, you know what they say about revenge. First, you got to uh, dig two graves. It makes an ass out of mm-hmm. Rev. Because the first one's inch. probably going to suck, so you got to <laughs> dig two of them, so the second one's good. <laughs> yeah, because you've never dug a grave before. Yeah, it's like the first. Practice it's makes like the first pancake. Yeah. Um, yeah. Stuart, do you have something to recommend? Hell yeah, I do. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, keeping in the theme, back. I'm going to recommend a French erotic thriller called Double Lover. That's oh. right, Double Lover. Watch it. Uh, it's a movie about <laughs> a uh, young woman who starts seeing her therapist, and then she starts dating her therapist, which I don't think is allowed. And then she realizes <laughs> that her uh, her new boyfriend might just have a twin brother uh, and he's also a therapist, but he's got a very different style of therapy, if you know what I mean. And it gets weird from there, folks. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, soon you will if you watch the yeah, movie. Yeah, well, soon you will if you watch Double mm-hmm. Lover. I gotta find out. It's Guys, uh, guys, it's a weird one. <laughs> speaking of weird ones, you know what? It's almost the end of the year. That means I gotta hurry to get in another check new wave in my recommendations uh-huh. before we go to 2023. Gotta check them off your uh, list. So- uh, it's Elliot's, well it's Elliot's checklist, done. right? Elliot's checklist is the- <laughs> that's what it's called. Elliot's new wave checklist. Yep. Uh, so put this one on the checklist. I want to recommend Fruit of Paradise. This is directed by Vera Chitlova, who also, of course, did Daisies. Is that fruit a yes. lime? <laughs> it is not a lime. I hate to tell you. Uh, Otherwise, that would have provided some reason for that letter to have existed <laughs> and then be read on the show. But no, there's still no reason, which is the beauty of the thing. Yeah. Uh, it's a real comic strip Nancy type of surreal uh, non sequitur. So anyway. Uh, Joseph and Eva are a married couple who go on a vacation, uh, and they've kind of lost the spark in their relationship. Eva becomes uh, more and more intrigued by Robert, a man who, as it turns out, is probably a serial murderer and may be intending to murder her as well. Uh, But there's larger implications to that. The whole thing is, more than anything else, a kind of retelling of the Adam and Eve story uh, in a very kind of semi-abstract way. There's a lot of strange moments in it. There's a lot of weird things. It's a more straightforward plot than Daisy's, uh, Chitalova's, I think, previous movie, but it's still very uh, strange. Uh, but I find I found it very beautiful and very affecting. Uh, the it's worth at, at the very least just seeing the first seven or eight minutes, which are a kind of artsy telling of the real Adam and Eve story, the original one, and the imagery of it, where they're kind of positing Adam and Eve as being a part of nature by literally flooding their images with psychedelic colors in a way that I had not really seen in a film before. It's very artsy, like I said. It takes a while for the story to kick in. But if you see nothing, it's worth seeing that very opening just for kind of the beauty of it, you know, just the visual uh, yeah. spectacle Maybe of it. Maybe crush like then, an edible and watch that shit. Yeah, I'm so- yeah, sure, and then stick around for the rest of the movie too. It's a good know, movie. Elliot, I only watch fartsy things. 
not. Oh. actually kind of true. Nothing artsy. Yeah, this is just artsy. <laughs> There's nothing fartsy in it. Uh, then I guess, how much, I guess. How much fartsiness is? The, what's the FQ? The fartsiness quotient. Yeah, I think. And I'm also. Does I guess, Randy I guess Quaid I'll, show up? <laughs> he doesn't. I guess as my alternate recommendation, it'll guess it'll be Howard Stern's butt bongo pay per view special. <laughs> okay. I guess maybe Sounds that'll get good. into the fartsy stuff you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. Huh, well, guys, we did it. We did another episode of the Flop House. That's the podcast you just put in your ears for uh-huh. a couple of hours. Um, you can take it out in a second. Yeah, you can take it out in a second, but not before <laughs> learning that we're part of the Maximum Fun Podcasting Network. Go to MaximumFun.org if you want to check out the other great shows they have there. There's a lot that are funny, and there's some that actually tell you something, unlike usually us. Uh, also, thank you to... Alex Smith, he is at Howell Doughty on Twitter. He is our producer. He uh, does magic for us. He also did the sexy Xenomorph uh, song. That contest is still ongoing. If you poke around on our website, flophousepodcast.com, you can find out all about that or check the show notes for old episodes. And thank you to everybody who tuned in to our live Flophouse holiday special where Stuart and Dan and others mm-hmm. uh had some it fun hasn't happened yet. it hasn't happened yet yeah we're right recording now, it soon um <laughs> uh in Dan, we're gonna have some fun in dan's kitchen um if you missed it and would like to watch it go over to my twitch channel and hopefully it will have been archived but and that's uh, Stuart wellington that's yeah. my twitch channel so thanks for listening uh we'll see you next time for the flop house i've been dan mccoy i'm Stuart wellington and i'll probably be elliot kalen unless i have to fake my own death, and change my identity for unnamed trouble reasons. Stay tuned. Let's find out. And if the next episode is being co-hosted by Sergio Abragoso, then you'll know that that's exactly what happened. Bye. Bye. On this episode, we discuss Amsterdam. The true story of the shooting of the movie Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo. That's a good one, too. That's better than my other one. Okay. I want to hear that shit. Okay, here it is. Let's do Waste it. Waste your voice. Alice, Alice can t- toss yep. these last two at the end. <laughs> All right. On this episode, we discuss Amsterdam. The movie that begs the question. On set, did Ed Bagley Jr. keep asking John David Washington why his dad Denzel hasn't called him since St. Elsewhere ended? It's <laughs> a good one. I love it. Okay. That's a good uh, yeah. Any Alex, any you don't use, throw them at the end. Why yeah, not? Use every part of the buffalo. And yep. now we move along to what we call the taping of the show. <laughs> I right. guess we do call it that. <laughs> yeah. We and technically, I mean. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.